episode of Levers, the Levers podcast um, with the Levered Lads here. And uh, today we are going to be talking about games and uh, specifically uh, how it's relevant to crypto. Obviously, we all are working in crypto now and it's probably 90% of what we think about. And I think it's relevant in like uh, not just gaming is relevant in crypto, literal video games, but game theory is relevant in a lot of like of these Ponzi's or pseudo Ponzi's and like yield farming games. And um, yeah, it's something that I know I've been thinking about recently. And so have you guys. And so that's what we're going to be covering. Um, if you guys want to kick it off, any uh, any hot takes? Um, I'll start with just sort of uh, how at least I think about why we like games and what games kind of are. So I wrote an article recently kind of trying to figure out uh, answer this question and for me like i'm someone who really has always liked games uh always played sports always want to sort of test my mind like compete against people like usually overly competitive in fact and i was like well what 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 is like this urge why is this here and at least the sort of thesis i came to was um we like games because like ultimately what we're wired for is survival right like we want to survive we want to gather resources and we want to procreate thing is now for most of us certainly in crypto land and even just like Western nations, um, the survival thing isn't really an issue anymore. Right. But you still have that. Um, you still have that fire to replicate survival scenarios. So I think that's ultimately what a game is. Um, you see like a lot of even animals like tussling with their brothers or other people, other animals in the herd. Like that's practicing survival, right? Like these are survival simulations. Um, and we like these games because I think the game ultimately like triggers a lot of the same um, pathways and chemicals that survival does, right? Like these are nice feelings when we win games, when we compete, we want to access a flow state, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's ultimately what pushes us to kind of play these games um, and to sort of pivot towards crypto. Um, I, I think crypto is a, a great example um, of, uh, as, as Kobe has said recently, uh, a metagame. And I think it's a really good metagame because not only is it like a deeply social game, but the stakes are very, very high, right? Like part of what um, part of what survival is, is the, the risk, the downside is catastrophic. It's death, right? And so we don't really have that downside anymore. But if you're, you know, gambling or speculating or even investing in crypto, your possibility of loss or something that sort of mimics death is, is pretty large. And so I think that's kind of what explains a lot of the, like the gamification of financial markets. Uh, I think that kind of also applies to um, kind of these metaverse concepts, the ability to like create games for people um, that are um, meaningful. And I think the meaning comes from like having some risk, having a stake in that game. Um, and I think that will that will kind of only continue um, the like infusion of risk into these games where they go from like sort of playful to like it's not really playful. It's just like life like the game has replaced life in a way. Yeah, I feel like it starts off like games, or I'm just completely just shooting from the hip, but games start as like a way for people to learn to cooperate and coordinate with each other, like sports games, right? Like basketball or football, you learn to cooperate and like be a part of a team and there's well-defined rules. And like it starts as like a teaching device for children, but then maybe to TJ's point, like now we're so post-survival that like... Like, those games used to teach you how to, like, maybe, like, I don't know, um, cooperate as a team to hunt or 
to do serious things that were like in the real world <laughs> to help you survive. But now we're so post scarcity, like the games just now have flipped and become our way of like doing like uh, acquiring resources. I don't know. There's like, there seems like the game was first for like education and training. And then somehow at some point in time now it flips where we're, we're still playing these games, but for like real life, yeah, um, which is kind of trippy. And it's like, it seems like the internet just magnifies that. Right. Like people are always like, Oh, it feels like I'm playing a video game when you're playing crypto. Like, why is it like that? You know, it's pretty trippy to think about. I, I think I think that's right. Like, the game used to be the simulation, right? But in post scarcity, like the game is the reality. Yeah, yeah. The game prepared you for reality, and then the game became reality. You know, which, um, and that's why now, yeah, like Kobe's comparing investing to like playing literally like League of Legends, which um, anyone who's like deep into it right now i was like oh yeah that com- makes sense but i feel like 50 years ago that would have been like weird or maybe not i feel like maybe a lot of old like ceos would compare like leadership to like being a football coach or some shit like <laughs> so maybe it, it, it isn't new it just feels new because being compared to video games instead of sports games um there's something there is something like deeply like resonating about games as like a conceptual model for thinking about the world yeah. Yeah. And I remember in a, one of our old episodes, like, well, we talked about narratives, right? And he kind of talks about narratives in this article um, that the narratives are like, it's kind of another, like you could say it's irreplaceable. Like you can replace that word with, uh, with metas or narratives, right? Somewhat. And like, I remember I said something about like, oh, the crypto markets are all narratives. And then TJ, you said, well, like, so is, so are equities. Like, like, and you brought up, I think Facebook or and there's Facebook as an example, right? Then they don't pay dividends, which I didn't know at the time. Um, and uh, I, since then, I've like, I remember reading something. I don't know who it was, man. It wasn't, um, this seemed to lie, but it was like some like hedge fund guy. And he was talking about how that he, uh, he liked, he liked uh, trading stocks because it was, it felt like a game. It felt like a, a fun game that you, that you could use to make a lot of money. So yeah, I think it runs like, it's, it's, it's like very evident in crypto, but it, I think everywhere, you know, like, um, like Naval talks about, uh, which we've probably talked about many times, but like Naval talks about how a lot of people play social games, um, versus wealth games, you know, right. Um, and growing your, growing your following on like on YouTube, right. Which I'm trying to do lately. Like that's, that's a game, you know? Um, I mean, I mean, ultimately simping girls on Instagram. The game, <laughs> same of course. Like you guys are using those dating apps, I think you are. But uh, right, those like those probably are like feel like games sometimes. Dude, I, I just, no comment. I just simped into a <laughs> subscription for Hinge. I've I've I've, I've, <laughs> I've been I've been holding out for so long, and I, I, I no women, so I was like, all right, yeah, got to do it. You got to use you got to use software to your advantage. It, it re rearranges the uh, the resources in the in a, in a more efficient order. Um, I think I think the reason why games are so good is because it provides like, you know, it's this idea that there's agents or players in the game, and there's a set of rules that the game is played by, and then there's like winners and losers, right? 
and that's actually just like surprisingly like general model um and so like and it also reduces complexity i think that's why we like the idea of the game because you basically like conceptualize something about reality as a certain game you're like these are the rules and now i'm going to play by these rules right um and so like in in reality like there isn't a game right probably but then you get to simplify it in your mind and be like oh i'm just gonna take this move because that's the winning move and i think that's like kind of kobe's point in the meta game is um people think it's one game and they think there's like one move and they're winning with that move but really the actual game dynamics have shifted because reality doesn't care like what game you think you're playing and it moves right so what we've seen is like at one point the game was just like btc maxi's running it up because of like inflation and then there was like the DeFi summer with ethereum and then now there's new games that are being played, but then you still hear like on Twitter, people saying it's the old game. Right. Yep. And like, that's yeah. kind of his point is like, don't listen to people telling you what the game is when it's clearly not the game. Right. Like, yeah, and dude. I think that's kind of the genius of the post is like, it's kind of, it's honest, like it's honestly about like rationality in a way, like, and not getting duped by pundits on Twitter. Cause I feel like, like, Dude, a that reminds me of are, could be broker if they got into like BTC or ETH later because all the loudest people on Twitter are in BTC and ETH. But they got right. into it after right. the game had already been played. Right. Dude, it reminds me of that. Like I remember this like period of a few weeks where like every day on Twitter I was seeing some like accountant make a thread about like why like when you use DCF analysis on sushi swap, like, oh dude, sushi's going to a hundred. Do you guys remember that? And it was like that is like he's trying to play like the DCF like stock evaluation game in crypto, Wait. and I and it was kind of a, it was kind of a thing for a while though. I remember like a lot of people saying that like smart people. So by the way, I don't think I don't think that game has started yet, but I think that game will start in 2022. I think the value game starts in 2022. Reversion to value. Like, th think yeah, about think um, about who the, think about who the incremental buyer is now, right? So like we went from like to Chris's point. BTC maximalism, like digital gold, hedge against inflation. Ethereum comes into the mix, right? Like world computer, fine. DeFi, fine. NFT, fine. GameFi, fine, right? So we sort of had like five games in my mind. And I feel like in 2022 is when uh, you have a new uh, demographic of player entering the game. And it's a demographic, demographic of player that wants to see some fundamental utility to the underlying technology. So like, I feel like what you'll see is you'll see some sort of resurgence of DeFi. I don't know what it looks like, right? But to the extent that you can have like an open financial infrastructure that serves people um, sort of uh, color and geography blind, quickly, cheaply, lots of different assets, like that, that's clearly like, that's clearly a hook. It's clearly a win, right? There's at some point, like that's going to grow. I think that's 2022 because you have like these sort of traditional investors, I think, entering the space slowly. I mean, you still have crypto people with a shitload of money, right? And they're going to do what they're going to do. They're going to keep playing the metagames. But you do have this huge contingent, I think, in 2022 that's going to be like, where is the stuff in the space that is actually making a dent and solving problems? And so I feel like they'll look at like the DeFi stuff and then they'll look at like this part of crypto, which is sort of what I call the hives. Like these are hardware infrastructure services, like the live peers, like render, helium r weave right like stuff that uses a network to combine hardware in a more efficient manner sort of like a you know like an uber or like an airbnb but 
you know, with a token or whatever. Like that, I think, is a metagame. And I think sort of to what Chris was saying, um, like you can only almost fit Kobe's article into like a like a James Cars finite and infinite games model, right? Like these games that we've been playing, each one is a finite game. But you could get lost thinking that the finite game hasn't ended, right? And you think you're in an infinite game, but you're really in the VTC Maxi game, and that game ended like two years ago. So really, like the the best players, I think, are the ones that like fit these little games. They realize they they come to an end, and they're playing such that they can continue to play in the next one. You don't want to get got in this game. You don't want to lose, but you want to continue to play, and continue to play, and continue to play. I think. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, shake. No, it's just I, I wanted to say like Kobe notes this in the article, like most people like he's like most people are better off not trying to like beat the crypto market and just like buy crypto and like like it's like the fastest growing asset class, you know, um, because doing that is really fucking hard, you know, like doing like playing the games and like rotating and shit is like it's, it's uh, yeah, it's difficult. I just wanted to know. I that. mean, for, for me. This this article is like I agree with whatever everything he's saying, but I'm not gonna try to even guess the meta game, like <laughs> like my archetype, like just can't even I can't keep up with the information, and I'm like too busy to try to guess it, you know. So it's definitely this idea of like he's kind of saying like after the new meta game is emerged, you just allocate some capital to it, you know, and like you don't even have to guess what the meta game is. You just wait and you just notice it. And you allocate a little safe amount, and yeah. you can do well as a trader like that. Um, but like, yeah. I'm not I mean, really a trader. Like, <laughs> so like, I think like um, the best traders, like there's this guy on Twitter named Ansem, who I think like had this he had this crazy streak. He was on Up Only recently, but he had this insane streak, right? Where he like he basically like hundred x like his fucking portfolio and made like ten million dollars last year, this year. Anyways, like that guy like hit every meta game and like rotated perfectly and sold the top, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, like most people can't do that. But, but I think thinking about it to your point, like, I think you don't have to like get each game perfectly and allocate perfectly, but like just understanding when your thing is like in the meta or out of like you're when, you know, if you can recognize that these like um, mechanisms are at play, then that can help you like in a smaller way. You know what I mean? Where like, if you find something that's really good, that wasn't some big narrative or hasn't been yet this past year, then you can say, okay, this, there's some probability that this will become it. And I can allocate now and like, forget about it until people are like hyping it up on Twitter. You know, um, yes. you don't have to necessarily guess what's like directly next, you know? Agreed. Um, I agree completely. Yeah. That, that's more my archetype right there. Like you don't, yeah. you don't have to play. You did do well. Like you did that with helium. Like I remember when you were into helium, right? Um, that became part of the the meta game. I would say helium and Arweave. I mean, which you kind of alluded to, but yeah. Like um, exactly. I think I you think, can. Think it's like value investing, but based on a narrative ahead of time. You don't know when, right. but you know it's going. You can say with certainty, like it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Like like, you, I feel like it's. Um, I don't know, like much respect for the lads that like rotate in real time to the highest and best use for their capital and like are keeping track of when the metagame is on and when it's sort of spinning off of rotation. Um, but I feel like ultimately what that takes is like a, a crazy fracturing of attention and being comfortable with that and then just like being 24 seven, which I think is just it's at least for me, it's tough to continue to be uh, happy and healthy if that's sort of the modality. 
Um, and so, and maybe this is sort of a, of a cope, but yeah, what, what my sort of strategy is, and it's done okay, not fucking hundred X, um, cause I haven't put the skin in the game that that guy has. And but what I mean by skin in the game is like actual skin, like commitment to the game. Um, but yeah, like if you can figure out that, you know, in a year or two years, I think like this metagame will be on and you do your, you know, fundamental research today about, you know, which are going to be the names that sort of, um, comprise that metagame. And then you buy and then you sit and you continue to research. Um, could be, I think it would be fairly, fairly effective. Yeah, dude. I mean, I completely agree. I think that happened to all of us with Solana, you know, like we were talking about Solana, uh, not when it was like $1, but like when it was like, like all throughout summer and before, like after the crash. Right. And we all had conviction on that. I know for certain. Um, yeah. And so, and like we were in it when it was like we we're just in it for a while before like a bunch of this capital came over. Um, so we didn't time it perfectly, but like you had conviction. So that yeah, like that's why I think you can still like drastically outperform like Bitcoin by just having like a couple things like that that you do. Um, you don't need to hit it, I guess. Yeah. I think the risk to this whole meta game thing too is like it's um. It's just rife with like hindsight bias, right? So post post hoc being like, oh, this was the the games. And if you just played the meta game, you would have made a lot of money. It's like in the moment, it's not obvious when the, the current game's ending and the new one's starting, right? And yeah. for the for the dude that hits every meta game, there's a bunch of people who missed the wrong one or, or like picked the wrong one. Um, and so this like idea that you're going to like, oh, I just need to pick the meta game right like it's it's hard looking forward like what's the next meta game right like everyone's going to give you a different opinion so like the, it's definitely like it's it's an interesting perspective but is it really that actionable i think it's actionable so far as like if you're just like hanging around and playing with things and you see hear other people talking about something you should probably just allocate a little bit of money to it right so you're not like even really trying to like rationally figure out the metagame. You just are like, oh, like people are talking about NFTs right. on my timeline. I'll throw a little bit there. But you're not like, oh, like you're not, like scribbling on a chalkboard being like the yeah. metagame is moving here. You're just like, oh, people like the PFPs. So I'll buy a PFP. And I feel like just doing that constantly, which is like different. I don't know. I guess that's how I would think about it. And I probably should do more of that. Um, let me I mean, run that's a, a, that's uh, how I think about it too. That's how I think about it. Let me run an, idea, just, an yeah. idea by you guys that um, I've been thinking about. So I think in um, in crypto, as we know, there's like this interesting convergence of gaming and um, you know casinos, if you will, or video games and betting games. They're about to clash, right? So a lot of people are like rolling out these pilots, which is let's introduce like financialization to these. Like interesting virtual worlds and to me um i think that's most interesting because like in the crypto casino right there's like a certain sense of survival because you can lose your money right so that's like a level of immersion that you're being offered and so a lot of people like to play that game and video gaming has been around for a while and by virtue of the fact that you're playing with other people you're communicating with other people and you're in this like this simulation this digitally immersive simulation there's a level of immersion there too so both of these are interesting games with levels of immersion one because of the idea of loss and the other because 
Um, it literally mimics like real life spatially. What I think is potentially dangerous, maybe interesting, depending on what your take is, is when you combine the two in like something like a star atlas where you have people kind of living um, in very compelling, realistic worlds, like conducting activities with their friends, playing these games with their friends with the possibility of losing a lot with risk at play. I feel like when you combine those two things, you could have people that are just so amped on that, that they actually just unplug from the real world. Like at that point, you have so, so much hyper normal stimuli, like, like why, especially if like you're like short or handicapped or like marginalized, like why deal with the real world, real world at all at that point? Like that seems like a better game for a lot of people now. I mean, that's like just ready player one, right? Like, Exactly. Just the world is just complete dystopia. <laughs> and some people blast into the Matrix. It's kind of funny. Like, I feel, I feel like some people think that's so dystopian, just living in virtual reality. And then some people are just like so hyped on it. Like, this is this is the solution to all our problems. You know, like, I feel like Peter Thiel would be like, that's so bad. Like, we're escaping reality. And then like, Balaji would just be like, that's fucking dope. We're living in the virtual reality. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, but I feel like we're already living in a variant of that. It'll, it'll be interesting if it ever becomes like immersive, right? Like there's just integrated world where like you just like a West world or a ready player one, or if it's kind of like where it is now, where it's super fragmented, right? Like there's not one platform that is the metaverse. It's like, there's Twitter, there's your like exchanges, there's a random video game, there's Twitch, right? And like, in aggregate, that how it is. It that's that's like you're living in a virtual reality, but it's not like the ones you see on TV where it's like super integrated. I think I think the integrated version is just I, I don't know. I feel like it's hard to pull off, and that's probably why you don't see it yet. Um, I think I think the um, I mean, there's a lot of talk about the integration, right? Like having NFTs that are interoperable across his world. Well, that, that to me is like a Pollyanna take. I don't think that happens. Yeah. Like if you just look at like the incentives of like people being able to bring their shit from, you know, developer A's game to developer B game or world or whatever, I just don't think that necessarily happens. Um, but I guess the question is... Uh, I think it happens. Like Remember we, we talked about this in Lisbon. I think it happens to some degree, but it's not like enough. Like it's not like what people make it out to be. Like people go, oh, you imagine you could use your NFT in this game and that game. Like it's not going to be widely uh i don't know it's not going to be this like widespread adoption of every fucking shit coin nft in every play to earn game right but i think like i think it's just branding so like i there's actually multiple games that are doing this right now where you can use your board ape in that game because well, that it's like sense. or you can use like there's actually something on solana doing this called savannah dow and they're doing it with our project they're doing it with like 10 other they're doing it with the cyber samurai they're doing it with like 10 other projects where you'll be able to have like your uh, uh, NFT avatar in this little like side scroller metaverse thing. But I think it's just branding. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't, the promise of like the interoperability, I disagree with. Um, but yeah, what, like what Chris was saying, I, 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 yeah, I don't really think about it that much, but I've heard smart people, both sides where they're like, this is going to save the world and this is going to like destroy the world, you know? Um, I really have no idea, but I, but like what I do know for sure. And part of why I'm like, so committed to like finding, 
finding value in these like metaverse games and stuff is because I just think the, the financial opportunity is huge, you know, and it has not, it's like no surprise. Right. I mean, everybody fucking knows that by now. My dad knows that, you know, but like, um, yeah. So it's kind of like, whether it's good or bad, like, I think it's inevitable. Right. Yeah. Cause I, cause I look it's at hard it, to not see how it's inevitable. Like we're yeah, already like, doing it. Right. And everyone likes right. it. people complain about it, but they like it. So I thought, uh, sorry, real quick, but the like an idea of like an integrated fucking metaverse casino and stuff. I actually, they have that right on uh, Decentraland. But like people love these fucking, have you guys seen this shit on Solana? Like DGen coin flip? It's like literally a 50 50 coin flip gambling game. And people like pay money to do it. And you can get these NFTs that like give you revenue from this protocol, right? And it's like, rationally right this is like so stupid to ever play this game <laughs> but people post about oh i'm on a fucking hot streak with the coin flipping you know and um people love doing it and it's like but it's so like it's so uh i don't even know it's primitive right now but like yeah if, if star Atlas pulls off this 3d experience where you can customize your guy it's like holy shit can you imagine how much people will eat that up i mean it's insane yeah. to think about we're following different people on Twitter. I've never seen this site or anyone post in the trenches, baby. Hockey. You guys know I'm fucking in the trenches, dude. <laughs> dude, I like some of the meta games that I think about are like so low time frame. Like, like this project I showed you is actually a knockoff of another project, and there's like five of these casino things on Solana right now. It's like it's like a week long meta game, you know? <laughs> uh, high frequency trading. In the metaverse. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's a weird time preference. I couldn't handle it. I, I I would be excluded from that game. You just called from the Darwinian machine immediately. There's like oh, the like... main meta game. There's an offshoot. There's an offshoot of that. And then there's just like a final offshoot. And it's just like surfing through the metaverse on like fourth degree <laughs> casino Dude. gambling app. On that note, so you guys have probably seen me talk about this shit. This fucking uh, little yield. Is this goddamn, is this goddamn jewel? This is Jewel, right? So my buddy, you guys know KW, right? We've done the space with him. He hits yeah. me today and he goes, all right, I checked out DeFi Kingdoms and I don't short crypto, but if I did, I would short this shit. It fucking sucks. But it's like, I was responding to him. I'm like, bro, like I already sold it all though. Like, like you already missed the game that, you know, like I've been telling him about it for like two months and I just fucking did a three X on it, farmed the shit out of it, sold it all. And then he's like, yeah, this oh. is way overvalued. And I'm like, I know, bro. I'm on to the next thing, you know? Because <laughs> he, like, runs a fund and is, like, thinking, like, huge value capture. But so, I don't know. Sometimes I think crypto, that's what people argue about, right? It's, like, like the whole thing with, like, Suzu and he's arguing about Avalanche and, like, what's well, getting users now? It's, I mean, sometimes it's just time frames, you know? Um, I think that's interesting that... Um, like the more capital you have and like the more responsibility you have, there's more inertia. So if you're trying yeah. to manage a lot of money and people talk about this on like on Twitter all the time, how these really big funds, they don't even invest in crypto because it's too volatile, yeah. you know? So, and then if you're trying to do a crypto fund, you're not going to be investing. And it's actually, it's good right. for the little guy. You know, if you're super small and like you just have your own capital, I guess like you, you, you can just be, play, you be like a little, yeah, you're like a little, <laughs> yeah, just running in and out through the metaverse, just trying to get a little bag while you can. And then yeah. it's like, if you're like this big ass ship, you know, you have to, you have to allocate so much capital that like, you're still not even touching Bitcoin. 
you know it's just so right because even i was gonna say even like the most liquid shit is like not that liquid you know what i mean like even bitcoin and ethereum is like for some of these huge funds is not it's not liquid enough let alone nfts that's why i always tell my friends i'm like look dude it's really risky because it's illiquid but like nfts are how you fucking make it dude like that's how i made it you know (laughs) flipping nfts because there's no fun that's like aping like 10 mil into like a profile pick project you know they literally can't well yeah three arrows did it oh and actually uh what the ac i just learned today a16z has a um What's it called? Metaphor? A16Z. A16Z. Because that's how Kobe said it. (laughs) That's how Kobe and Crypto Cred. Like, because they're from from, uh, the UK. You're British now? (laughs) No, dude. I just, that's how I always hear people say it. I like, I like, I like Z too. I like Z too. Saying Z is part of the metagame of having read Kobe's stuff. It's part of the metagame. It's the crypto creole right there. <laughs> to, to, to follow up on this this comment, um, I think the issue of um, size of coffers to put to work is an interesting one. Because if you think about it in the context of a game, uh, if you're trying to play a game, a finite game, and you have a shitload of money to put to work, actually by virtue of putting trying to jam that amount of money into this small game, you actually sort of change the rules of the game, right? You can't really put that money to work because you move the market, which kind of changes the metagame which kind of fucks up your your strategy a bit. Um, I generally agree that depending on the size of that capital, I mean, you hear people complain about it all the time, right? Like having to put a shitload of money to work. It just, it's not the same thing. You can't just be like, I have a good position. I have a vehicle that reflects that position and I can put the money to work. You have to deal with all this other shit as well. Yeah. The little guy has a chance in crypto. Um. I kind of wanted to um, something I was thinking about with the metagame because like the whole trading piece just really doesn't resonate with me. Like I don't make that many trades and it's kind of hard for me to follow the metagame. I think part of like the idea of like building and doing something yourself is you're trying to write rules to a game that like you like. Um, So there's this one like there's a passive sense of where like you're just watching the world and you're seeing the different games that are being played and you're just allocating to it. You're like, okay, this is going to be hype. I'm trying to make money. And then there's like an active approach. And you're like, I think this is a game that should be in the world. And I'm going to put time in to build it. And then you kind of just hope other people come in on it, right? So like Vitalik, whatever, and his squad, Joe Lubin, whatever. Like they wanted smart contracts and like turn complete um, like blockchains. And like they made that game happen. And then that sprung all these other games. Right. So it's kind of like there's this interesting aspect of this like metagame is like you can in some ways try to influence where it goes um, with your time. You know, you don't have to just like passively watch it. And like most of us are honestly too small. We're just minnows, so we can't really <laughs> uh, influence it. But um, I think it's worth trying, you know, you, you feel like everyone, everyone in, their, in their way, whether it's like active, like you're trying to. Uh, build a new game with a set of rules or you're you know plugging into a more passive game so to speak really everyone affects the game right like there's a butterfly effect every participant affects the game in a way like whether you're a minnow or or you're you're rather large like that's sort of like the beauty of the game right it doesn't ever sit still like every input changes every single one yeah or even like if you're a long-term investor right like you're the those are the people that um like they help steer 
the the game in the direction that they want because they're not just like oh I don't care what the like I don't care what the game is I'm just gonna play what's ever quick they're like I'll just invest in this and hold for a long time because part of me just wants to see it exist you know like I feel like that's almost the best investing where you're like I don't care if I lose money on this but I want this thing to exist and you push it that way um, and I feel like sometimes there's a bit like there's a little there's some nihilism in crypto where it's like I don't care where this thing goes as long as it goes up and I'm just doing it as fast as possible. And like crypto is so like liquid that you put like these games are so fast. They're like fruit fly experiments. Um, And I think there's something about like having a longer time horizon that like, I don't know, gets rid of some of the nihilism of just like, Oh, whatever the game is today. Like what's the game today, boys? (laughs) Like you should, I don't know. I feel like you also got to, You've got a um, interesting dynamic that has only been exacerbated in crypto, which is like for a long time, like those with a lot of money, like it's the it's like a you know a law of Soros, right? Like when he thought the Bank of England was going to shit itself and the pound was going to lose its peg against the Deutsche Mark, he was like, all right, let me short this shit, borrow as much money as he could, and he shorted it, right? But like if you have enough money, by virtue of your shorting it, you're changing the fundamentals you're betting on, right? And so that carries through financial markets more broadly the more money you have the less you're actually playing a passive game and are betting on extrinsic fundamentals your very bet can change reality and then it could lever up the returns of that bet and i feel like what happens in crypto which i think has got to come to a head at some point is like a lot of the biggest traders have like an enormous social platform like they have enormous leverage to move the market in the direction they want to um and even like the big VCs, right? Like they're really good at what they were and are really good at what they do, which is understand where the market's going, understand who the best teams are. But then like they invest in the team, right? And then they go out and they help them with hiring, right? Like they help them with marketing. Like they use their social channels to pump pump the name. So I think there's an interesting like reflexivity in crypto that only becomes more severe by virtue of how like ubiquitous the social media is and how connected social media and your returns are now. Like think about like Jusu, right? Like, like ultimately like people give him a lot of shit because he went from like the ETH narrative to bailing on the ETH narrative and going to the avalanche narrative. But like looking back, like people are already starting to forget that, right? People are like, ah, oh, like it's Jusu, right? And like he pumped his bags and he moved on his horse. And it's almost like once you build that social media platform, like how are you not going to use it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, dude. I think I mean just kind of a fine line. Probably say that he was just like saying what he thought at the time, right? Like he's not maybe he was holding. Yeah. Like go ahead, sorry. There's there's such a fine line between like when getting called out for like, okay, you're like dumping on your followers or like you're shilling your bags. Like everyone shills their bags, dude. You know what I mean? And it's like what what, what, you know what I mean? Yeah, like I mean, why would you not? I'm extremely like, passionate about my bags. Like to your point, I, I love them. Like, like I, I, re- I yeah. research them and I believe in them, and I'm excited to see them come into the world. So of course, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be proselytizing, no doubt. Right, right. Like to your point, that's the value that uh, you know certain VCs. That's like one of their biggest value props, right? Um, marketing and awareness and legitimacy from them talking about it. Yeah, I mean. I feel like the main thing is just to realize that everyone has a biased perspective, right? 
and no matter what they're saying and and a limited perspective so people that are like just because someone has a lot of following doesn't mean they know what's going to happen right i feel like that's like one of the main rules <laughs> of 20 the 2020s is like don't think anyone on twitter knows everything um it's kind of like a class in epistemology but just because like they they go on there and they're like Ethereum's going to be the new substrate for all the finance and it's going to flip and everything and BTC is going to zero. It doesn't mean that's going to happen. And now that because they're hyped on AVAX also doesn't mean that ETH is going to zero. Like, so it's just like, you got to weigh a bunch of different perspectives and kind of try to think for yourself, I guess as hard as that is. <laughs> yeah. TJ, I'd be interested. So you kind of mentioned it before earlier, like you think that in 2022, there'll be more of a return to, um, to, to like value investing in crypto. Um, I'd be curious, like what, like, are, have you like positioned any certain assets or like what, and why, and why do you think that? Um, um, yeah, I guess there's a few things. Uh, I feel like the meta games have been. I mean, they've been very. It's a bad word to use, but they've been very speculative so far, right? Like they've been very much pure play, greater fools for a while, right? So, DeFi summer that was a greater fool phenomenon, right? Like you just you just rush to where the farm is, you get in, you make sure you get out before the liquidity runs up, right? Full wheelhouse. Um, uh, greater fool and like nfts came around and sort of the same thing right like some people are buying because they liked it fine but ultimately you needed someone to come in after you to buy your thing um then game five we'll, we'll see what happens but i feel like what's key about 2022 um is thinking about who the incremental buyer is that comes to the mix and the thinking could be wrong but my gut feel um is that 2022 is when a lot of traditional investors and allocators um, have no choice but to enter the game. For example, I think something people don't really think about is the idea of a pension fund. Pension funds run some of the biggest books of cash in the world. They have these fixed liabilities that they have to pay out to retirees, and they can't get the returns that they need to get in the real world, right? Bonds aren't getting them there. Equities are sort of getting in there, but there are no dividends to match their liabilities. Real estate's at all-time highs, rates at an all-time low. Um, and then you look at crypto and you're like, well, I don't really understand it, but I see that people are getting like 7 8 9% yield for staking out ones. I see people can get 19% yield on Anchor. I see I can use, you know, Compound Treasury or Ave Arc as a money market account to give my, um, to give my clients or my policyholders 3 to 5%. It's like... And they've probably gotten their infrastructure together that they're entering the game now. But what you got to think about, and this happened early on with the, the early TradFi hedge funds, the single biggest thing that kept people out of the crypto markets was not volatility. It was, how the fuck do I explain this to my investors? Like, what's my defense? And so if you think about those types of characters coming to the market in 2022, I think you sort of see an end to the dog, dog coin and GameFi Ponzi games, and you see a return to like defensible value plays. Um, and I'm not sure really what happens um, kind of in this hardware infrastructure world, right? Like the Helium, the Arweave, the Renders, the whole stack, like the decentralized infrastructure stack. 
but there's a lot of experimentation and some of those models will work. And so I think those sorts of investors will start to look at like, where is there some sort of protocol that has an underlying technology that solves a problem better than what exists? So I think that's sort of why you'll see a return to value both in the DeFi sense and just in, in terms of the overall protocol sense. I mean, I also think what you'll see is um, a lot of investors recognizing that in 2022, like DAOs are going to be sprouting up all over the place, right? It, it's it's a new experiment in how people convene, and there needs to be good infrastructure to support that that explosion. And so I think that sort of fits into the return to value too. You need like easy tools, like you need like SDKs, if you will, but for DAOs, like you need like stuff that allows people to just build up quickly and not have to deal with shit lower in the stack so they can start, you know, building whatever they're building with the group of people that they share a treasury with. I think that sort of is like one of the bigger narratives in, in 2022, which is why, by the way, like something like Luna is appealing, right? Like we're talking about this on the other, um, the other pod, um, like it seems like Luna's trying to touch the real world, right? Like they're trying to do some stuff that's uh, utilitarian, which I think will be a theme. Yeah, that's uh, <clears throat> that's yeah, that's compelling. That's compelling. I didn't, th I don't, I don't really follow like um, traditional markets, so I hadn't really even thought about that to be honest. Like that, that the uh, I, I well actually I saw a couple of tweets about it, but like. Even like the S&P 500. Let me see if I can find that tweet. But people are saying, oh, there's only like three hedge funds that beat the S&P. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, that was that was an absolute bummer. It's like <laughs> terrible. tweet this. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, a couple of people tweet this, but yeah. There's only three hedge funds that beat the S&P 500, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so he, and he was saying the same thing. He's like, where do you think that like that people are going to want to put capital? Like they saw what happened in crypto this year and um, yeah. I mean, do you think that, do you think that big funds could actually, like, could actually allocate to crypto for staking? Like even with this, like the backdrop of this, right? Like they have to, like big funds can't deal with volatility. So if you try to stake in ETH because you want the, return on the ETH staking, but then it's denominated in ETH and ETH crashes has a risk to crash down 20%. Do you think they can realistically do that? I mean, I think like protocols like yours are going to allow them to maintain delta neutral positions, right? Like the infrastructure is there now. Like if they want to stake ETH and their yield is denominated in ETH, like that's obviously a problem. But as long as they can take out a put or, you know, a, a short a perp, like that kind of fulfills that, right? Yeah, so yeah, you I think mean, they'll just they'll try to use they'll try to use DeFi to just get like hedged yield. Yeah, and and you know it's gonna it's gonna be tricky. To, it's gonna be interesting to see how like traditional funds and and money managers and even like sovereign wealth funds like interact with permissionless DeFi. Like I don't exactly know how that plays out, right? Like realistically, some people start making permissioned pools and then like they go through FTX at the beginning. Like there are ways to do it. I don't exactly know how the DeFi angle enters, but I feel like that we're at the stage. I mean, how long has it fucking been? When was the ETH ICO? 16, 15? Does anyone know? I mean, that's the thing with DeFi is like, literally, I just don't think like American funds can't touch DeFi. Um, like some like prop shops can touch it, but like 
for multiple reasons just like the bookkeeping doesn't make sense and the like I feel like normal fund <laughs> uh way of structuring things they're also like worried about regulatory stuff right yeah. like I, so I mean, they wouldn't they wouldn't get like a eth put from psi options or on serum no. or anything like that so no i, I agree with that what is what i was really going to say is that, like i feel like um i mean Jusu actually tweeted about um amara's law today which is that we tend to overestimate the effect of technology in the short term and underestimate in the long term. But I feel like what's like what we're coming towards is like, there's been a lot of time for all this infrastructure to be built, right? Like the the pipes and the bedrock, there it's kind of there, right? Like we have our oracles, we have our L1s, we have a whole bunch of other infrastructure that supports all of this stuff, right? And going into 2022, I think people really have an opportunity to start building stuff that touches the real world. And I think that's interesting timing because just as infrastructure has matured to the point where people can start to build like interesting, meaningful things on top, like these infrastructure hardware services, at the same time, you have all this money entering the fray that like wants to see stuff like that. Like they want to invest, invest in like the application layer that touches like people and businesses, but it hasn't really existed to this point because infrastructure hasn't been good enough. Which, which by the way is, I think another thing for 2022, um, that makes sense to invest in is uh, like the enabling technologies. Like it's not like a novel idea at all, but you know, the, the picks and shovels, like if you're a traditional fund, like, you know, that game, right? You're like, I can invest like way deep out in the tail at the top of the stack, but like that's anyone's game to win at the application layer. But whoever wins up there, if I'm investing down here in the infrastructure layer, I'm going to win either way. So I'm going to choose to to be in here, right? Especially if I can if I can passively stay for some extra juice, yada yada yada. I think just like talking about this, I think there is something like an investor's dilemma, similar to an innovator's dilemma, where if you're managing enough capital and you're in a position of success, like you still just don't touch crypto, like just for all the risks that it brings. And the new winners and in, like investing in crypto are like smaller shops that like literally just like go into DeFi and go into these things. And like, they don't really care that the bookkeeping isn't basically solved or there's more regulatory risk. Right. So like, I don't think, um, and I think the big funds, I mean, I'm just completely speculating, but the big funds that do it do it like Bitcoin because the Bitcoin accounting is like clean. Like, I think it's kind of crazy how, I mean, it's not crazy, but like how much clean accounting influences people's decisions when they get to a big enough size, because there's like, there's so much risk there of not doing clean accounting. Like, um, maybe this is just like an overly granular perspective, but like, um, I don't know. I think it's interesting, like why maybe you don't see like traditional funds make the move right it's kind of like the same reason why like big businesses don't catch the next wave because like the new technology doesn't fit in to how their current processes work you know so they're like oh we just can't do it <laughs> we'll wait till it gets figured out and so what happens is like a new upstart ends up being the new big player and then you just keep seeing like instead of like the new one making it in the next generation it's always like a new upstart becomes the new dominant player yeah, like a... I agree with that. Uh, Selkis in his year-end report was talking about that, which I think is a really good point. Like, 
it's always been like the institutions are coming, right? Like what are the crowdfund institutions going to come into our game and join us and pump our bags, right? In reality, the winners were uh, small upstarts that mastered the new domain, right? Like the winners were like FTX and Coinbase and, and BlockFi. Like, they're, they're new institutions, right? Like crypto native institutions were the winners. Um, and so I, I think the investor's dilemma is right generally. Um, but I ultimately think that the the rip current is too strong for there not to be like some secular entry of that type of money. Right. Like mm. you, you can't, you, you can't afford not to be involved at all. I think going into, I don't know, 2022 to 2025, like there are going to be mm. folks that like are so dogmatic, like Berkshire Hathaway probably doesn't own crypto for 10 years. Right. But they're literally yeah. 95 years old and Charlie calls it rat poison. Like there's a lot of in between, right. Where it's like, folks that you know, have allocated to gold in the past, but they're like, well, gold doesn't seem to be working for this purpose. Like, what if we allocate a little bit? And then the Bitcoin back goes sort of well. And they're like, oh, let's stake some Ethereum. That goes sort of well. They can hedge that position. Like, I do see an entry, uh, but think of the point about you being really big, really established and having a reputation. It just makes it not worthwhile for so long. Yeah. I also think they just, because they're so big and it kind of comes back to the liquidity thing we talked about before, they just go into like big L1s or like they go into Bitcoin and ETH and they allocate a small amount there that causes like Bitcoin and ETH to go up some more. And then people are already in that. Like it kind of like trickles downstream, you know, that's why I like the whole Bitcoin dominance thing. Well, maybe not using it as a trading indicator, but like why Bitcoin remains dominant, even though whatever, it's a boomer coin. It's because <laughs> like it finally gets big enough where then big people can invest in it. So it gets a little bit bigger. And then people take those gains and it goes down and it goes down and eventually all the <laughs> money so trickles true. down. The money trickles down to like shakes like fourth derivative, like betting app. And then I hundred X. It's like trickle down economics kind of. <laughs> I never thought about it that way. That's so true. Yeah. I mean, Bitcoin being like a boomer coin is good for um, these big funds. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought about Any it that way. Then, on Bitcoin's clean. Then, then the crypto people like rotate out of Bitcoin and it's like, it keeps it like kind of, uh, I don't know, pushing it like underwater and it's bobbing up and, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's exactly, I mean, that's how I think about it. I don't know if that's exactly how it works, but. Um, that's my, yeah, that's my like anecdotal impression of it for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, like, Tej, if you were to try to stake ETH, like, would that be how, like, and get a yield on it? Would that be like chilling with your fund admin? Yeah, Kraken does it. Really? And I mean, I don't. Um, I mean, I'm exploring a number of ways to stake like more esoteric assets. Um, but there's nothing intrinsically wrong with using the a fund hardware wallet to stake natively in like a Luna or a Cosmos. And mm -hmm. if you don't want to do that for whatever risks, um, I mean, there are options like Lido, um, which are also fine um, by the accounting requirements um, in the US. Uh, it does get complicated. And for that reason, my guess is a lot of people will avoid it. Uh, I think where it gets nightmarish is, um, you know, when you're dealing with DeFi and permissionless protocols and you don't know who's on the other side of the trade, like the admins don't love that. 
Um, you can always tell who's American because they start talking about uh, KYC and taxes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> terrible. Uh, like, what did is, you guys see? Did you guys, maybe we talked about that when we did the tour stories, but you saw Doquan when he was like, like someone asked him that in an interview, like, what do you think about like stablecoin, like FUD in the US? And he's like, and he was just like, he's like, you know, the US isn't the whole world. You know that, right? Like he said some shit like that. It was so so funny. He's like, I don't actually think about the US because. Yeah, he's like, I don't actually think about it that much. I'm not from there. I actually live somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, you know what? Wasn't the anchor just so confused? <laughs> she was like, "What do you oh, mean man. you don't like? You have to have some opinion about America." He's like, "Nah." <laughs> yeah, she she started she started totally she she started totally tripping on her own words too. Like she, she knew she'd botch. She knew she had some like America American tourism <clears throat> she let leak out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't blame him. Like, if it, like, why would he want to be thinking about American banking regulation? Like, uh, you should. I'd be, I'm with him. Just like, <laughs> I just want to build my technology. I don't want to think about U.S. stable coins. Um, have you, so. did, do you guys have any thoughts on that, dude? I, I mean, I don't know ch- shit about it. I saw that congressional hearing and like, it made me feel a little bit better about holding stable coins. But um, yeah, what do you guys think about this stable coin FUD? Well, I'm thoroughly biased but um <laughs> um i mean which foot are you particularly referring to do you, you the, the yeah. like gary gensler gary gensler always shits on him right yeah but like what which angle like that stable coins are going to be regulated akin to banks or that there's security doesn't he doesn't he say like oh these are like for sure security and they need well, to be so, regulated by the SEC. i don't think that pencils because um, actually the security angle might pencil. I think being regulated as a bank doesn't pencil as well. And that's for like this, the centralized ones he says that about. Right. I mean, the problem with the bank analogy is um, they don't hold deposits, right? Like to be a bank, you have to hold deposits um, and you get to rehypothecate those deposits, and like you get you get to create more money than you than you hold. Whereas the stable coins, like the USDC, USDT, are one to one pegged, right? So there's no rehypothecation. But the securities issue, which would be how we test, um, I think that gets trickier um, because if you're a stable coin that takes that issues liabilities, which are stable coins against like money market instruments. Like that's a, like you're acting in a fund capacity, right? Like you're a fund that allocates to money market instruments and then re you're and then you have that yield in a bank and then you issue stable coins. I think that could get kind of trickier, but either way, what I think is sort of the key takeaway is I tweeted something about this at some point, maybe not elegantly is like, the assumption so far, I think in crypto land for a while has been like stable coins are going to be, uh, are going to be deleterious for the dollar, right? Like the stable coin mind share and financial share like takes away from the power of the hegemony of the US dollar. But I don't think that's really the case, right? Like a lot of people on earth can't access dollars and would really like to. So if you have a synthetic version of a dollar and that synthetic version can go to fucking, you know, Turkey, right? Where the lira is shitting itself or Brazil or, you know, India, wherever, Philippines. 
That's a very powerful thing. And I think ultimately that that narrative has so much power that I think regulators sort of have to realize that what we could in fact do is bring a level of regulation that is um, you know, comforting to us. It brings us enough control that we think that, you know, wildcat banking and shadow banking isn't happening, but also allows us to export dollars abroad. Like that's, that's other than education, that's the U.S.'s strongest export. And I think that then I wonder if that narrative also plays out in 2022. Yeah. Well, what I don't know about is I don't know what happens to decentralized tables, to be honest. And that's <laughs> and all the, that and, I hold. An anchor. <laughs> and also that being being in a position I am. Um, yeah, I don't know. We don't have to get into it, but decentralized tables to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, synthetic US dollars have been a thing. Like that that's what Euro dollars was. Like people have been doing this for a while. So to some extent they can't really stop it, right? If someone just comes up with a peg that tracks a dollar value like they can't really stop it i don't think um so uh, i hope <laughs> i mean they haven't they, they they couldn't stop it 20 years ago and like all the technology was simpler so i don't know why like they look there were just like banks big ass banks in europe issuing these euro dollars and they couldn't do anything about it um like they can only, I feel like they can only like get things at the source, right? So like, if they don't have sanction at the source, like they couldn't like just go to the European banks and be like, you have to stop this, right? And so people just did it. And like, are they going to stop some like developer in Asia from offering like a synthetic US stable coin? Like, I don't know. Seems tough. I, Especially I if there's like enough demand for it. Um which I guess would be a good game theory for why, like, they should just support it and, like, gain advantage from it than, like, saying, like, they're going to stop it because they haven't stopped it for the last, like, 20 years. But I don't know. That's that's kind of what I think. I'm like, man, I like, how can they stop it? That's just my rationale. It's, like, too big to fail kind of thing, you know? And I mean, they could stop, they could stop us from accessing like they can stop us from accessing it, right? But how are they going to stop people? In like not really. Though. I mean, once you have it. money like on chain, right? Like you could, they could stop you from a centralized exchange, but like. But then you can't you know, like I mean, on ramp that, that money back to like pay for your apartment. And, but let's say like, let's say you have USDC, right? And then FTX US doesn't let you get USDC. You just hold your USDC, you yield farm. Then you need to pay for your apartment. Then you just switch it to Seoul, send it, sell it withdraw you know like like right. there'll always be a way around it i think and, there, and there'll always be the demand for it um someone just yeah, i would i would never do anything say, how, how can you stop dan dude actually i was wondering if you guys either know if you guys have like opinions on this guy how can you stop danny frog nation yeah. I've, um, I've been very i've been very deliberately avoiding it i feel like it would just suck man like it's it's so attention fracturing the frogs what is what is this it's the guy who, the guy is. who made um what did he fucking make? Uh, Time and Wonderland and Popsicle Finance, I think. He a bunch of stuff on Avalanche. You know who that is, Chris? Daniel CST or whatever? I don't know anything about AVAX. I'm ignorant. Sorry. No, I mean, I don't really know much about it either, but um, I fucking lost. I like missed out on a shit ton of money because I didn't look into it <laughs> for sure, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the like the argument. Well, I I think there's a world where like basically there's KYC crypto and there's non KYC crypto, and like maybe the KYC crypto tries to favor to like older, bigger institutions, and then non KYC crypto like is for people in countries that are less like restrictive and then for smaller people, right? That don't want to be KYC. And you kind of see this fracturing. And then like in the KYC world, you can use USDC or like whatever, like whatever uh, stables are authorized and regulated. And then in the other world, people use things like DAI or, or you just use Bitcoin. Like hopefully Bitcoin just gets stable enough that that like you could, you could price all these, like and people do that on some exchanges, right? They price everything in BTC. So um, I think there's a good chance of that happening unless you literally want to like enter your social security number to use all this stuff. Like that's, I feel like that's max pain <laughs> for me. Yeah. It's like to use the internet, you have to give your social security to some government admin. And then, uh, and then you have access to certain websites that they've essentially like whitelisted, but Hey, I'm a law abiding citizen. So everything I do, I'll, I'll do if they tell me to do it, but I'm just saying I prefer not to see that world. Always has been yeah. very law abiding. I've, I've known him for a while. I've known both these guys for a while. Strictly uh, <laughs> conforming. Strictly conforming. Um, one thing. One thing I will say is I'm not sure how the breakdown between KYC and, and DeFi happens, but sort of to Shake's point, like I, I feel like what Bitcoin ultimately proved is, um, like decentralization does put an entity outside of the control of any level actor, right? Like all previous internet monies were destroyed because they had single points of failure. BTC comes along and says, you know, we have a global consensus and BTC is still here and it hasn't been shut down by virtue of that architecture. I think what you could see, right, is if you do have a bifurcation and like DeFi is trying to figure out how to survive, right, outside of the, um, outside of the eye, the watchful eye of the government, like if they do in fact decentralize their entire stack, right, if they do use all of this infrastructure that are networks, that with redundancy, like there's a world, in fact, I think we will see a world where that's impossible to shut down. Well, like, yeah, how, dude. And how do you go about, how do you go about shutting that down? Like, what does that look like? What does the enforcement look like? If you really wanted to go balls to the wall, you have an entirely decentralized stack. And I mean, right. I think, I, I mean, think like, you have to go like China, the... like where you literally are like firewalling stuff, right? You control all access to information for your citizens but like what is it what is it what i don't know enough about like what does a firewall look like like what are the implications of that can you just what does it do basically firewall is like you own the telecom like you own the wires and you can see the information passing over the wires and then you just block information right so you can like in the http request you can see like where it's getting routed the ip address all this stuff and then you can just have people like in command and control blocking stuff, right? So, like if the government, like if the government's, if a government owns like the wires, they can start doing stuff like that. Basically, but, just like but, blunt blocking access. But they still like in my last company, I worked with people in China when they weren't allowed to use Google, but they would just do a VPN and they would use Google, like Google Meet and shit. So how does that? I think you have two sort of issues. Like it's not, I think they're using the VPN to get around like the fact that 
they don't want their IP address to be tracked to using some sort of application, right? Like in Dubai, they want to they want to block FaceTime, right? So you have to use a VPN to 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 use FaceTime, lest you be your IP address be attached to that FaceTime. But like Chris's point, like if if the government owns like the hardware and the fiber, literally that you know gives birth to the internet, that's a complication. I do wonder though, like all these systems are going to adapt, right? So I do wonder if you're in China right now, like the reason you're using DYDX is because the other alternatives to getting your money out and betting in, on financial markets are not possible to you. So you're using DYDX. When the firewall becomes prohibitive such that like literally the infrastructure is not allowing you to get online, I feel like someone steps in there, right? Like there's going to be, there's going to be a protocol or something that distributes some sort of hardware. Like for example, like what if you don't even use the wires? You don't even fucking use ethernet at all, right? Like there are the Starlinks of the world that are literally distributing internet around the world, right? Like I feel like these systems will evolve to the point that the individuals contributing to these networks have more than enough resources and power at their disposal that they can create a network that completely obviates any sort of centralized alternative. I mean, this is way out, right? But I think in the limit, like that's a reasonable possibility. Yeah, dude. I mean, and like, fuck, that gets that, that that gets me excited, right? I mean, that's like crypto. Like you said, it's a way out, but um, that gets me fucking excited. I mean, I think about like because there's like there's multiple ways that a government could um could block access to to blockchain, like like you're saying, right? Whether it's through like the internet infrastructure itself, or like companies, like exchanges, or like even like wallet providers, right? But like if you get stuff more and more decentralized, and there's there's growing demand for it like because i think we could all agree like we don't see the demand dropping like the, the demand reversing and going back to where people don't want these like the, don't want to use DeFi, right um and so if everything else stays the same like there's gonna be and we move towards more decentralization like it's it's kind of it seems inevitable i guess i don't know um because like you, imagine you, if like stable coins are illegal less right but like but everyone has a fucking Terra mobile right. wallet, right? And it's right. like open source and you and you can get it. I mean, fuck, you could argue iPhone would block it or something, right? But like, right. they would. there's always gonna be a way around it, right? And then it's like, oh, I wanna pay rent. Well, here, fucking, I'm gonna send you UST and, and people accept it. I mean, that, like I could foresee a world where it's just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know what I'm saying. But it, I, I, oh, I think, right. yeah, I think it's inevitable. Shakes bullish sure. de decentralization. <laughs> but I mean, we've also we've, we've I think we've riffed on this before, lads, like which is like no one really like people don't really give a shit about decentralization, right? Like they give a shit about like UX and UI until there's some sort of censorship crisis, right? And then people are like, oh, we, we need something. And then something's going to get built, right? And then like the um, the hype cycle around decentralization and like hedging your bets against uh, single points of failure, it slowly dies, it slowly dies, it slowly dies. And then another crisis comes around, like, you know, like Robin Hood blocking one side of a trade or like Trump getting deplatformed from, you know, content sites or like DYDX going down because AWS East went down, like all this shit, right? Like it, it like re, it re, um, reinvigorates like the sentiment of the time. But ultimately, like those things will continue to happen, right? Like I don't see a world where governments and companies are going to stop censoring things that are divergent with their interests right and each one of those that happens like another person another group of lads in a, in a in a garage is like we need to build this from the ground up decentralized and i think it'll be increasingly moved not just from like like software <clears throat> or all the play has been to like the heliums of the world like this lad in the in the comments just said helium miners question mark um 
And I think like that's an example of like right now, helium miners, from my understanding, um, you know, you're providing connectivity to IoT devices, but you need to have an internet, an Ethernet connection, right? Like you need to have a Wi-Fi existing ISP, and that you know, it, in China's case, like they would have control over the ISPs, right? But like, is there a world where like helium miners, like the hardware, it connects directly to like a Starlink, right? And then it provides a node with bandwidth, and if you have enough of those nodes, then you can route a packet completely outside the ISPs in China or something like that, right? I think coming back to what we were talking about earlier, like, I think this is why it's important for people to be like, care about the game they're playing or the, the rules of the game they're writing. Like, if you're just like, oh, I'm just in crypto playing whatever metagame is being ri like ran right now, then it's like, you don't really care what happened. But if you have the privilege to have enough resources, like betting on things that you want to see happen and maybe caring less about returns, I think is good on average for everyone. And maybe like you have a small percent, like, a small amount of money you're just like i don't care i'll just play the metagame for fun but i think it's important like when you see other people trying to talk about like maximizing returns you're like i don't really care about that i want to like write rules for games that i want to see the world play and i mean sometimes it's hard because like if you're like i want there to be decentralized telecom networks like i like I, <laughs> you can't go and make that happen but in little ways i feel like you can support like building the games you want to see people play I mean, also, also a thought, I'd be curious to hear you guys' um, perspectives. Like, historically, one of the, a lot of the problems with, like, building out this, um, like, infrastructure or hardware, right, is, like, how do you solve the chicken and the egg, right? It's, like, a classic fucking crypto thing, right? But one of the more powerful <clears throat> things in crypto to me is, like, you have a completely different design space for incentives now, right? Like, you can create your own tokens out of thin air. Right. And you can distribute them to people to supply your network with something. And the first ones to adopt, the first suppliers, they get more. And as the network grows, the rewards tail off. You can bootstrap whatever you want to the extent that people believe in the equity that they're receiving. Right. Like that's a fucking powerful thing. Like if you think about like we have a lot of these. Uh, I was actually talking to um, a dude at, at, at Delphi about this. Um, and, you know, his point was basically. Like we have all these real world problems, right? Like we have a lot of shit to solve. Like, you know, we got to solve climate change and we got to, I don't know, pull people out of poverty and we got to get like better telecom infrastructure, yada, yada, yada. You have all these problems. Like, how do you start them? Like, no one, no one really, I mean, no one really wants to take that risk. Like, a company can take that risk, they can get VC funding, then they probably fail, right? But if you have the ability to say, uh, I'm going to create a native token that's part of an ecosystem. And I'm going to incentivize like all these individuals like all over the world to do this thing. Like that's a, I think that's a fairly, that's a fairly powerful primitive No. Yeah. I think, I mean, if you just think about helium, like it's pretty mind blowing like as a pattern for future companies, like token, obviously to onboard people um, like pro service providers, also open source code which is also like in itself a novel idea. Like they're like, this is how you can run, uh, you know, like one of these miners. And then they can just have different hardware providers take that code and figure out like different ways to build it. It's like really, um, it just kind of like all the nice things about the internet just being like uh, capitalized on. Um, definitely it makes you hopeful of like, 
the way that like open source code and crypto and like tokenomics can like unbundle some of these like historical like monopolies. Um, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Because we're gonna do 5G too, like... right? But five G is live. Five G is live apparently. Really? Yeah. You guys are reminding me of why uh, he said Ponzi, yeah. <laughs> I was about to, I was literally about to say you guys are reminding me of like why I like crypto because like sometimes I'm so wrapped to like kind of what you're saying, Chris. Like I am like only about return. Like like I love Bitcoin and I have owned zero for a long time, you know, like for like month <laughs> probably eight months I've never owned Bitcoin. And like um, but you're reminding me of why I like why this stuff is cool and like why it is valuable. Um because so often I'm in the parts of it that are not that are only speculative and and like ponzi's to this guy's point um but yeah there's definitely there's definitely something here and it's good to remember what that is i think to like return to uh first principles like hasu says yeah i mean it's i mean everyone gets caught up in the returns because it's like you're like you see people doing it you have the information and the know-how it's easy to be like i should be doing that but it's kind of like you have to think about What'll make you the happiest over the most? Like, yeah. What'll really make you happy in like five years is probably doing stuff that you care about more than just like maximizing money, I think. So, but I guess the counter argument to that is like that could just be cope and you could just be spending a little bit more time paying attention to make money. So, I mean, like, I don't know. yeah, because you could also do it like SBF's approach, right? And just make as much money as possible and then use the money to do the good, you know? So there's like the effective altruism. But yeah. I don't do that. I mean, so it's fucking mood argument, you know? It's all <laughs> money for me. <laughs> the thing about the effective altruist, it's like, kind of comes back to game theory. If every participant is effective altruist, like they're just all making the most money to donate it. Like, then what, what happens, right? Like, kind of one of my world's views is if you reason about if everyone did the same thing you did, would you be happy or most people did what you did? Then it's a good thing to do. And if you're like, if everyone did this, it would be really bad, then maybe you shouldn't do it. Like, I think if everyone was like trying to build things, right? Like, I would be like, cool. I think the world would be better for that. But if everyone's effective altruists, I mean, they're, they're good. Like they're kind of a bad example, but there is some like self-defeating nature, like a self a, a effective altruist couldn't tell everyone else to be an effective altruist. Cause then it's self-defeating. You know what I'm saying? I, right. I, feel like, like, I, feel right. like, I feel like the, like the natural, like evolution sort of handles this issue. Like they they talk about like a taxonomy of players and games mm -hmm. that there are, Players go and enter games for different reasons. Like there, uh, there's the, the killer, and there's the collector, and there's two other archetypes, right? Like the same thing is the case with the human population, right? Like some people are natural born builders, like other people are like, you know, natural born killers or whatever other archetype, and everything in between, right? And I feel like it it self mediates because if there's ever too many of one type, then all of those individuals compete against one another, and you have a culling which rebalances, right, the species. I'm a natural born I mean, shit coiner. Yeah. <laughs> I, if there were I don't think everyone should be a builder in the sense of like engineer, but I think like, you know, like the the best case of an investor and a salesperson, a community manager, and like people that are just like creating more order in the world. Like, I think if everyone did that, I think it would be good. 
Um, so I guess I mean builder in the more like a more general sense where if like, if everyone was a trader, right. This is kind of like why I don't like trading. It's to some extent is like, if everyone is a trader, just like, or everyone's playing the metagame super fast, super nihilistic, like it would be bad, you know? So that yeah, would never happen but... because people would lose and they would leave and they would go to something else. Right. Yeah. It's just, uh, Yeah, I don't know. This I is think the effective meta game. altruism. This, like... this is a meta game right here of like we're both. Everyone's trying to influence culture, right? Like when people are on Twitter are like, everyone should be a builder. Like they're trying to increase their clout, or like their or like change or sh well, you could argue they're trying to shift culture and like make something like more respectable, or you could try to like say like they're trying to get more clout, right? Like if I'm like, oh, I'm a software engineer, and then I'm on Twitter, like. Everyone should be a builder. Am I doing that because I think everyone should be a builder, or because I'm trying to get more cloud for myself? You know. Awesome. Um, I mean, I, I think for, I think for you, like they're not mutually exclusive, right? Just like sort of like the person that invests in something, they believe in the something, but they also want to pump their own bags as their own interest. I think for you, like your worldview, like you genuinely believe that people should be building, people should be contributing to order, but also like that's who you are, right? That's part of you know building. Yeah. A protocol so you're going to project that too like the things are reflexive and i don't think that that it all takes away from it like one of the sort of um applying this selfishly to how i think about the world like i don't always necessarily think that everyone building towards order is a good thing like i think actually mm -hmm. the more ordered we are and i mean that in a very strict sense like making things neater more controlled like, I think that actually takes away from the happiness of a lot of individuals. And I think that's what you're seeing more broadly. Like, there's a lot of societal and government overreach. And I think that can be tough for certain individuals. And ultimately, like, over the last two years, we've seen a lot of overreach and a lot of miserable people, right? There was a pandemic, mm -hmm. sure. But I think those things do get tricky. I generally do believe that, like, to the extent that order is improvement in people's lives, like, order is technology taking a case of chaos, uh, taking a, a state of chaos and converting it into something that's more efficient or helpful is a good thing. But like the like building towards order sometimes trips me up because it doesn't really work all that well for me. Like I, wildness is, 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 is kind of important for me. That makes sense. I'm not, a, I'm not a, um, I'm not a proponent of top down order. <laughs> I like the bottom up order. You're just a technocrat. <laughs> I'm a technocrat. <laughs> Dude, when you're talking about someone else's creation, I'm bottom up. When we're talking about something I'm working on, I'm a dictator. <laughs> uh, no, no dude, actually. I, wait, let me just interrupt real quick. You guys, you, you both talk. Um, but let's do at the end of this the thing we used to do. You guys remember, like where everyone asks a, a probability question and the other two answer about something about games. But go on. Oh shit! Okay. Um, yeah, I was going to say something so random, but you just reminded me of it. Sound it. Um, though, quick, what Chris said, like, uh, I, I've started to kind of come to the opinion, like that, like DAOs are, and like decentralization in terms of like leadership is kind of overrated. Um, like, cause specifically in crypto where it's like a token economy, and, you know, you have these token holders who are voting and they're voting to make the token value go up. It like doesn't I, I feel like it, that doesn't work that well, like from what I've seen so far. I don't know. 
but I'm curious what you guys think. <laughs> um, again, I'm deeply, deeply, deeply biased here. Um, yeah, you were for Adele. <laughs> <laughs> it's also like, you know, not that I've really been a part of it, but like the maker governance model is like looked at as like something to mimic, right? As if it works really, really well. Um, <laughs> but sort of to your point, what tends to happen is it's not any more democratized in terms of governance, right? Like it's the same thing, the same thing that sort of the the same model the U.S. used for governance, which is like a delegated model, is what tends to happen, right? So there's no more widespread voting on what happens, and in fact, it gets tricky because um, you're running a lot of decisions, right? A lot of important decisions through the collective token holder vote, which in theory works pretty well and allows a lot of people to have input. But um, like I encourage anyone to find an example of where, you know, a country, company, tribe, army has been effective in the past without like a small team of domain experts making decisions on behalf of a larger team. It's just tough, I think. I mean, just like what, like what happened in SushiSwap, right? Like, <laughs> like Joseph yeah. DeLong, like he's been he's been talking about for a while how like he's been fudding DAOs despite being in one, and then it's like absolutely like there's a lot of probably reasons for that erosion, but but it's very much an experiment, right? Like what we're what we're trying to do here, like we don't this probably does not work. Honestly, yeah. in retrospect, it's pretty crazy. He was on up only like just sounding so frustrated with the DAO, and then like a couple months later, like. Right. Said so much drama. Yeah, that sucks. Um, I mean, DAOs. It's it's early. It's early days. DAOs or early DAO days. So yeah, I think you'll see people experiment with different stuff. Um, generally, I think democracy, like pure democracy, tends to not scale super well. So, um, but people are going to try things, yeah, and I think that's good. I haven't I haven't paid that much. I should say like like you are right, MakerDAO is kind of like the the example people try to like it I don't know. It's the example to go off of, right? Or one of them. Um and I haven't even I don't even participate in like uh Ethereum I don't actually participate really in any DAO governance, but I like have observed it. And like and uh yeah, I just I don't know. It kind of frustrates me sometimes because it's kind of like yeah. It just seems like it just gets nowhere. Like it's, it seems like everyone's like conservative kind of, and then like, but they're also like all just want a, the token value to go up. And it's kind of like, you don't have like, you, it's hard to have like a breakthrough, like revolutionary idea through a DAO vote. You know what I mean? Like the DAO vote, like, I don't know if you guys saw, I saw with Mango Markets recently, but it was like, oh, we have all these extra tokens that are like supposed to be used to like further the protocol, right? And like pay people. And it's like, well, we're not doing anything to further the protocol. Let's just burn the tokens. And then the number goes up. There's less supply, you know? And then a bunch of people bought the token to vote on it. So the token would go up. And then the token went up. And then everyone sold. And it like was right, literally right back where the price was before. And I was like, what the fuck is the point of that? You yeah. Know? Yeah. But it is early days. I don't know. I mean, it's also like I don't exactly, uh, you know, this isn't really the most insightful thing. But it does strike me that um, despite the fact that historically direct democracy models have not really worked very well. They've devolved into either failure or centralization. Uh, it does occur to me that there's a possibility that we do have some DAO infrastructure 
um, and sort of um, um, like technologies that arrange people in a way that um, some of these experiments may work, right? There may be a technological shift that actually enables a cultural shift, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I don't know what that looks like, but there's been an explosion of innovation, right? I could see some of that innovation being able to underpin a new sort of model for democracy, but yet to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. I think as long as like, invent, like people are holding tokens are doing things in the interest that's not aligned with the DAO, then it's, there's going to be issues. And that's kind of like the issue with every like protocol right now. Right. Like when you issue a role to some off chain participant, in your protocol, like you don't know that they're going to act in your best, like the protocol's best interest. They can do their own thing, right? So, like right now, a lot of the issues, like for a DeFi protocol, is like people will just spam a transaction or do certain things that like they don't care. Like the net, it's positive EV for them to just spam your protocol or turn instruction, but it's bad for your protocol and the overall network, right? So like sometimes when Solana's congested. There's some reason why bots are just spamming, you know, because like they're going to pay all these transaction fees and but then they're going to make some money off of it where it's positive EV fee for them. But then like the negative externality is the network gets congested with a shit ton of transactions, you know, and I guess that's just like a microcosm of like what's tricky about crypto and adversarial systems, right? Like you can have a DAO and you have the token like you're saying. And people can come buy it and then vote in a way and then get out immediately. Which I guess right. I think Mango's trying to have like locked you have to lock to do governance, which is interesting. I don't know that much about it, but maybe that's like yeah. Yeah. So then you come up with all these cool incentive structures, I guess, to try to get around adversarial actors. Actually, it's funny this guy keeps commenting about uh Danny CSD or whatever, he's like this example of why I'm sometimes I feel like I'm kind of bearish on DAOs because he runs, um, I think it's Wonderland and like, it's supposed to be like a DAO, like hedge fund, but like his, him and his team hold all the tokens. So like they say, oh, propose, we're going to go buy some curve. And then they just like vote yes. And then it, like they are allowed to go buy curve. Right. Um, but this guy's growing the DAO because this guy's like a good fucking trader. And it's like the DAO's being successful because it's centralized, you know? Like if everyone knew that Curve was the good trade and they all voted, oh yeah, like let's go do that. Um, then it wouldn't, it, do, do you get what I'm saying? Like, cause yeah, I, I've actually sense. noticed a microcosm of that with with my, mine's not even a DAO, right? But we but we put things up to a d democratic vote, right? For Cyber Samurai. And like, I'll say something where I'm like, okay, look guys, like this is a way where we can like, grow this grow this money you know and then people will just be like no like let's just like stake radium or something you know because they want to like maybe win the ido and it's like they're kind of thinking on like an individual I, I don't know like it's uh i think there's i guess there's just i guess it's just early and we don't know we haven't seen like this uh paradigm shift happen yet because of the technology but that doesn't mean it, it's not going to happen i guess i think um, i think i think that's a that's a um, a good point. The, the mango one is particularly interesting, right? Um, for you know the diversion between the long-term benefit of the protocol and the short-term benefit of the individual. Um, something sort of um, that I've been thinking about is 
like at maker right what we're trying to do is like it's it's not the easiest shit to understand right? and that's why also like, like there are most people that like, spend a lot of time in the protocol that know the history and some of the underlying assets you know, they, they so i feel like more um the more cryptic or more complicated subject the more you have a concentration of power there's only so many people that know the engine required to make um uh, a protocol but on the other side of the coin i think if you have trajectory of that protocol can be meaningfully contributed to by the maximum number of people i feel like that's where you can have a um a more democratic sexually impactful like for example if you had like you guys know roblox presumably roblox is a game it 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 relies on user generated content right and it's really easy to contribute in that game like you can build whatever you want you can build your games you can build your experiences and by virtue of how easy it is to contribute to that game you have amazing content you have people contributing directly to the long-term trajectory so if some of these DAOs found a way right they, they had a product or a service that it was really very easy for people to understand and contribute to i feel like you could have a model that's potentially more decentralized in the governance Yeah, I think, I think like being bearish on it like isn't really helpful. It's kind of just, it's like 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 it's just better to be optimistic and look for ways that they they can be useful uh, than to think about oh like these are overhyped. You know, I, I guess it's just me. I, mean, like, I, I watch all... I watch like the Bankless guys, you know, and they're like, go work for a DAO, like it's the shit. And I'm just like, dude, like I don't know. <laughs> I, I just think it's overhyped. I think... I think Thanks if you haven't if you haven't dug into them at all, then they're underhyped, and you need to be like, "This is something cool." And then when you start getting into the details, you're like, "Oh, this is still early. It's not like we've solved this," you know. So I think DAOs are ultimately the way. I mean, DAOs are a way for people across the world to cooperate and run something, right? So they need they they need to work for crypto to work. <laughs> so, um, yeah. like to be completely bearish on. DAOs would be to be like this thing's not going to work unless you basically go back to like a Bitcoin level simplicity. Um, but I think we just will experiment with new models. Like they I think Dave White, Dave White posted something like, "Is anyone playing with like models where you know it's almost like a class system, right? Where like some people have more authority than other people in the in the DAO, which is kind of like how normal companies work, but." Um, like it's not unreasonable to think that people will experiment with that, right? Yeah, this is I just this is the example that we're referring to. I like to bring up the visual, but like this was completed six days ago, and like this was proposed basically nine days ago, and so like this is when it was proposed, and then it like pumped, and then this is when they actually burned it. <laughs> it's like here was here was the price before, right? And now it's like right back here, basically. I don't know. Um, so what's what's interesting um, is Wi-Fi, right, is going through a very similar chapter, right? The token's at a one-year low, and I believe a governance vote went through to do large-scale buybacks, right? And so I, I don't think this sort of etiology is universal. It happened with Mango. There was some other protocol in the past. I think like DeFi 2.0 or DeFi 1.0 protocol, the same thing happened to. Like they were burning tokens and the burned... Oh, Stellar. Stellar. They were burning lumens and the, the, the token kept shooting itself. But 
like there are examples i think like with wi-fi where the decision's been made to do buybacks just like an apple or whatever and wi-fi has been fucking ripping right i mean it just gets back to the point that it's like it's it's all it's all very experimental and we'll see kind of like what the dominant models are i mean i think this is uh, i don't know it's tricky well it's not easy but i feel like we'll make it work you know it's the only way like you can't set up a U.S. company to run a crypto protocol. You're not going to set up an LLC. So you'll need some system that's like crypto blockchain native to make admin decisions. Um, so bullish DAOs in the long term. I just feel like Amara's you know, DAO. The, <laughs> the metagame, there's a clout metagame. It's a clout metagame on Twitter. And one of them is to be like Rust is dope. Um, DAOs are dope. Um, honestly, if you just say Rust is dope and DAOs are dope enough, you probably will get to like at least <laughs> at least a thousand followers. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually, the thing is, they actually are dope, but <laughs> maybe not as dope. Like you're so right. Moment as... <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta read you guys a uh, a quote about decentralization <laughs> from. Uh... Hasib at Dragonfly. So I agree. Like it's like you have to virtue signal that you're bullish DAOs if you're in crypto. You have to. Um, despite all this, crypto communities love to point at each other and claim their competitors are not really decentralized, quote unquote. In a way, it's a perfect attack because anything can always be more decentralized. It's the original sin that every project carries. It transmutes decentralization into a virtue of purity, a universal moral <clears throat> failing, a ritual of self-flagellation. How impactful is that? <laughs> that was like when uh, the bankless guy said to uh, Suzu, "Like you've com- you've <laughs> you've committed crypto's greatest sin." <laughs> Do you Wait, what was that? that? It was about AVAX versus ETH or whatever. Mm. And he was like, he was like, "You're committing like the cardinal sin or so- like that thing." That's what he said. He said it in this really like religious way. The guy from Banklist, um, I forget which. David, David and Ryan. It was David. It was David. That, that is definitely another. That's definitely another meta game, which is like crypto has a wokeness to it. Yeah, like you want you you don't want to be on the wrong side of that wokeness. You don't want to be on the side which is like centralization actually is better. <laughs> yeah, you want to be, yeah. you want to be on the long decentralization side because that puts you as part of the tribe that's morally superior. Yeah, I mean, I think we were talking about it before, but decentralization is a means of building like a robust system that fulfills users' needs and not just an end in itself. So, um, honestly, yeah, like you've kind of said before, like decentralization shows its merits when shit starts to hit the fan. So, um, I still think it's valuable. I think the joke is that it's not an end and it's not measurable. So it's kind of just people yelling at each other about things that they literally can't even quantify. So it's like, yeah, there's no resolution to the argument, which is kind of the crazy part. (laughs) Yeah. All right, guys, I got my question. Okay. Do you think the odds are that, um, that Wikipedia or Reddit integrate a token by the end of 2023 
Oh, um, <clears throat> isn't Reddit isn't Reddit doing it? Are they? Wait, doesn't? Oh, Reddit, no, Reddit doesn't, doesn't have, have their own token, token, but they have like token integrations. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, community. blockchain, a blockchain native integration, right? Like not giving golds or silvers, not upvotes, like nothing that's insular on, and on uh, their own database, I suppose. Like something that can be traded on Uniswap. Okay, okay. Um, Kalul is saying, yeah, they have an integration. I feel like this guy should just take over the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about Dan. Um, uh, this guy has, he has the alpha, dude. <laughs> DM me, bro. Later. All right, so, so, so next metagame is so, so based on <laughs> based on Cole's censorship. <laughs> let's take out Reddit. I'll just say Wikipedia. Mm. Which, by the way, Wikipedia oh, is, is is hella desperate. You know, like they're 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 blasting everyone with the asks for 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 donations. Like it would be, I think, pretty yeah. wise. It would be wise. Okay, like um, how, how what would their tokenomics be? <laughs> give me like, give me a picture to boost my probability estimate. <laughs> the Wikipedia. Like, let me visualize it. Wikipedia. All right. Well, your tokenomics, <laughs> your tokenomics would be is like you've got, you've got no early investors, right? You got some sort of public facing events, an IDO, an ICO. Once you have like fifty percent of the float, right? Fifty percent of the float is used, um, is, is let go, and then you have an additional ten percent that's released um, to like unlock staking, right? If only if you stake your wiki do you get to contribute to and or edit other people's shit, right? And as people decide on the quality of your articles, the quality of your edits, you you get you I mean you get some you know part of the emissions, which is the remaining forty percent or something like that. Hmm. And also the 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 ICO would raise an immense amount of funds for the wiki foundation or whatever, which is what they fucking need. Like they don't, no one wants to donate. Everyone wants when token. <clears throat> so true it's like my it's like miami coin right like no one wants to like donate to miami but like i'll buy your coin which is effectively the same thing i'm gonna go with or i'll let go i'll let shake go first i don't know shit about wikipedia i feel like um there's a low <laughs> chance uh i feel like like i feel, I, th I agree with everything you're saying like that they should but i don't know shit about like do they have progressive leadership or anything so um uh -huh. i'm gonna say like 10 percent probability I'm gonna go with one percent. Okay, uh, and I'll say why. Like, it's a big ass organization. It's already complicated. Like the idea of like people staking in order to. I feel like it's a version of just innovators' dilemma. Like you already have your processes to like add this staking mechanism to allow for edits would be crazy. I would say there's a different possibility. Like all of Wikipedia is open source. Someone yes, could just exactly. fork all the data and run their own project, which uh, I, I thought that I don't, I'm not counting that on my 1% offer. Someone forking Wikipedia and then adding the staking mechanism seems more likely. But even then, I mean, Wikipedia is big as fuck. So like there's a lot of stuff going on there. And I think... It's it's de facto. It's de facto distributed already, though, right? Yeah, I, I guess I'm just thinking like how. Like I think there's like a huge power law of who's editing these things, right? Yeah. For so sure. like in some reason, some way, like the staking mechanism doesn't. I don't know if it makes sense, right? Like there's like a hundred people who are probably writing like eighty percent of Wikipedia, which is also kind of crazy. Kind of <laughs> like, like Solana. 
<laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, that's how everything is. <laughs> so, I don't know if the staking mechanism, I don't know. What's your probability? Obviously, it's going to be higher. Probably, probably 10, 10, 15. 10, 15. I mean, it's all. I'm I think just it's bearish all, everything. Sorry. It's guys. always just like the way I think about it is like yeah, all you're the. You're Bitcoin Maxi at heart. Like the Web2 companies, like there's always like a chance, right? And then, then there's like a spectrum of who's like most likely or most desperate or could benefit most from like a token integration. The way I think about it is like Wikipedia's token integration is less about like any sort of incentive or staking mechanism and more like they have a fundraising problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could just be like, we're issuing a Wikipedia token. Buy it to support support our treasury. We'll we'll, we'll issue. We'll create a DAO and we'll figure out how to a roadmap later. <laughs> okay, sure. We'll, we'll, I'll buy a dollar sign wiki. We'll, we're gonna. Dude, the token game. would rip. The token would be like top ten within a week. You know, <laughs> for sure it would. It would definitely be top ten within a week. That'd be fucking sick. I, I mean, I would buy some wiki token. Like, I feel like. I feel like Wiki's been really good to me. I'm still not going to donate, but if you give me a token. <laughs> they haven't been that good. <laughs> oh, I've, I've donated to Wiki. Trust me. I'll virtue signal real quick. I'm a Wiki nice. donation card holder. <laughs> Wiki woke. Wiki woke. I'm Wiki woke. Um, oh, I got to come up with a question for a probability. Here, while you're thinking, Kalul said uh, all the three three is a lie. Bro, you got to check out this article. Uh, where the fuck is it? Is it, is it just an ohm chart? The article? It's the Jordy Alexander. Do you guys know that? this guy is such a fucking beast? I just discovered him. Game theorizing. Yeah, up only. It was really good. Oh yeah, that's actually where I discovered him. But then I like he on he's a beast on Twitter, um, and I hadn't followed him. But he talks about he actually literally answers this question that three three is not like what it is is three three minus six <laughs> basically like someone's still losing you know. Um, I'm trying to find it, but yeah. There I mean, we go. He, three three is fake. There you go. Does he just like you said, about bro. Like the, the game the game theory of three three. He just talks about like the game theory of uh, crypto. He had another interesting one about how like you either buy Bitcoin, like the choices are like buy Bitcoin or buy shit coins. And if everyone buys shit coins, then everyone loses. But as long as someone buys Bitcoin, then it props the market up. So you can speculate on shit coins, you know? And he's like, bro, he's I've like, been when... saying that all year. <laughs> Have you? I mean, that was kind of, I mean, it's kind of similar I... to what you said actually earlier in this podcast. Now that I think about it, but yeah. Well, in the beginning of the year, I was like, I was like, if BTC goes down, like everything goes down because everything's pegged to it. Like all the, it's every. is <laughs> like, no. I don't agree. Well, with that's, that. I mean, that's At not all. like a novel take. That's like obvious, but the way he put it, I thought was interesting. I feel like the problem with that, the problem with that is like that's 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 the previous metagame. Like that's the BTC dominance metagame, right? That is BTC and and deeper risk assets are correlated, are coupled. Whereas I feel like going forward, like the the decoupling is what's going to occur. Like the alts are going to care less about what BTC is doing. Like of course there's always going to be a beta, right? It's kind of like. Um, I don't know, like Apple leading the S&P, like everything's going to have a beta with Apple. But like ultimately, I think what you're going to start to see is like protocols behave in their own article, in their own markets, as opposed to moving vis-a-vis where BTC goes. 
I mean, there's definitely reflexivity. There's no doubt about it. Like everything's still risk assets. Even public markets and crypto are still correlated, right? But yeah. I think that I think the deco- the decoupling thesis is fucking on, boys. Okay, this is my question. What's the probability that BTC isn't the largest market cap by end of 2022? Dude, that was literally what I was going to ask. What's, what's, <laughs> you, what's, you got front ran. What's front run? Like front run. 450,900 right now, ETH, BTC? Uh, yeah, about. Yep, yep. Um, what's the probability that, that Bitcoin is the top? Um. I would say, top, I guess. I would not say like six. Okay, that is not the top. Four, not the top. Thirty percent. Thirty percent. Damn. All right, yeah. wait, hold hold on. I want to hear real quick. This is actually an important. Like this, actually, this this probability like actually influences how people like invest. So like the entry question. Jake, what's the if the thirty percent plays out? What's the what's the dom coin? Some Jewel. L1. Jewel. <laughs> <laughs> Jewel. Like you it's no like you think you you think Ethereum could flip in BTC at this point? Like after all this FUD. About well, the thing is weird though, is like that, L2s. It's, uh, the there's no other L1s thing. that are gonna flip BTC. I think so the market price. cap is kind of weird though, right? Like Kobe's talked about this. Like with the burning and like I don't know, the market caps are the market caps are like I guess it's the best approximation we have for the size of the asset, but like, um, I don't know. But could it be ETH? Yes, I think it could be ETH. Could it be Sol? Yeah. Could it be ADA? Most likely, ADA is my pick for the, what would flip it. Honestly, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt about it. I don't know, dude. I mean, ETH got pretty close, right? Um, I mean, ETH is close right now. It's just a two X away, right? So. If ETH two X right now, it would exactly flip BTC. Um, and I mean, yeah. So I could see it happening, dude. I, I really could. But what what I wonder, because I go back and forth on this, is if that happened, does that mean that crypto is fucking dead? Because I've heard some people say that, where they're like, "Well, then then nothing's real, and we don't fucking know. There's no reliability in the market." And I don't I don't know if I agree with that. You know, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if that's right. Crypto crypto is. Crypto's alive. It's not. It's not dying. Okay, give your probability, Teach. I think it's a good probability. Uh, I would say a little lower though, probably twenty. Twenty. And I think I think it. It's within that twenty. It's most likely like it's sixty percent likely to be ETH, and then split between Cosmos and Luna. Because, dude, what if there was like an insane game? Like, what if like Fortnite was on chain and you needed to buy Cosmos? Like. Cosmos could flip Bitcoin, like literally, dude. You could play Fortnite and earn money, and like everyone's doing it from ten years old to fifty years old, and you're fucking. You need Cosmos. I mean, I'm like, yeah. That's why I'm like, I think it's like kind of probable. Like, it just needs like some killer app that like brings in all this new money of like retail and institutions alike. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, a a killer app could be truly extraordinary for one of these other ones. Also, left out Solana. I would, I would say like. 13% 13% on all three of those and 60% Ethereum. I mean, like for for Cosmos, the bet is basically like like multi-chain world plays out, right? And people choose to use Tendermint and be IBC compatible. Boom, Cosmos pops, right? If Luna plays out, it's, you know, China cracks down 
uh, you know, people need decentralized stable coins. The ecosystem matures. It's vertically integrated. Fucking Luna is Southeast Asia and, and, and China. And then if Seoul pops off, it's like, you know, Seoul wins gaming in DeFi and then Seoul pops off. Like, it, I think those are those are possible. If Seoul BTC, pops off, it's BTC. Seoul summer all year long, baby. <laughs> 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 all right so what's yeah. yours chris kyle samani said soul was gonna flip bitcoin <laughs> did you guys see that yeah. i think he bet money wasn't that like at the end of like the multi-coin like the end of lisbon <laughs> just yeah um <laughs> you show up to the multi-coin summit the first slide of the multi-coin summit is why soul will flip btc <laughs> Uh, I mean, I also I said end of 22, 2022, right? So I feel like that should like over a long enough time horizon, then it inc- obviously increases. But I'd go like I think it's like <laughs> bro, it's not I think it's like five percent. Really, you think it's lower than ten? <laughs> yeah, I'm just like. 20, I think there's simulations, so much... one in twenty simulations. You think it's that bad? That's what I was thinking. I, I thought wow. that's like even like. I mean, a year is short, I suppose. <clears throat> a year is short, and I don't think any smart contract platform is definitively the best. And I think the uncertainty of that, like, I do think there's some like, and like Jordy talks about this, like, there's an end game. To Bitcoin that like everyone kind of gets and there's consensus around and that's why it like kind of holds its price. Once that L like and I think yeah, I don't know if an L if a smart contract platform flips it and you're not sure of its dominance, like I think things get all weird, right? Like you can like people might be like if people same thing like the meta game was like you saw ETH pump and you went to Soul and you just kept going down the layer ones and it hurt ETH's pump. Like I think the same thing plays out because none of the smart contract platforms are really like good enough to be the de facto winner. Right. So no one's just going to keep holding it. Like, it's not that I think Bitcoin's so good. I just don't think any of the L ones are definitively the best enough for like everyone to just like, there's no Apple, you know, where everyone's like, Oh, they won smartphones. Like, I'm just going to ride this forever. I mean, I to, 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 to Shake's point though, like I feel like these things are, um like we're hyper we're hyper levered like there's there could be a hyper flywheel in adoption right like if you have a killer app like choose solana and like that's the onboarder like i feel like this is something people like keep riffing about like what is you know what is the next thing to onboard a billion users right like Raj and, and Anatoly, you know, are teaming up with Alexis Ohanian and some gamers because they think like social networks and gaming might be the next thing to, you know, drive a, a hundred million users or a billion users. But like ultimately, like if you do have that killer app that people care about, um, like that, I mean, that could be your crazy onboarding mechanism that immediately gives you that critical mass of the network effect and the thing just takes off, right? Just like boom, like before you know. Right, dude. Cause that's what I like, cause that's why I kind of disagree with you, Chris. Like, I don't even think it matters that one is not like the strongest. Right. But like, if you look at like how much the crypto total market cap grew this past year, right. Like in the midst of like Dogecoin being in the fucking top 10 and shit. And like all this like meta game speculation, like what if there's like an actual, this is actually what I was talking about in my live stream before. Like the craziest, craziest money is when it's like actually demand, like utility and demand driven, which I think is what TJ like 
plays after a lot you know and it's like if we saw that with some fucking app it doesn't it doesn't even matter as much to me like the chain it's just like that people need it to play this thing that all their friends are paying and has a network effect i'm like man like i mean i'm not saying it's probable i'm saying it's it's less than 50 percent chance but still that's why i'm like i don't even think it matters if like it could be matic you know i don't fucking know the big thing for me though is the no way (laughs) the (laughs) the big thing for me is the wallet is like 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 for uh for jewel for this game right like people think it's going to be like runescape and i'm like dude it never can be runescape as long as it has metamask like it's just fucking annoying and um you know even solana with the with phantom which i think is a much better wallet is still annoying it's like weird like every transact everything you do to have something pop up and you have to click yes approve and like understanding your private keys like what I want to see. I really am curious what the solution is with like the wallet user interface. Like, if we have that, and then this killer app, killer game, whatever that with like a network effect. Like, fuck, man, you can make so much money from whatever trade that is. You know, I mean, I mean, for example, I feel like something that's sort of being slept on. Maybe not. I don't know if you you guys are maybe in different bubbles, but like the Phantom Mobile integration, like. Like, what happens if there's an app on Solana, which is like, I don't know, like, it's a sports betting app, right? And, like, all the normies from the sports tribes just, like, you know, descend on Phantom. Like, I mean, that could be absolutely preposterous. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and should, I guess you, I guess should... if there's, like, I guess if there's enough, like, education and, like, reason to adopt a wallet, maybe you don't even need, like, the... Uh, you know how people say that shit like, oh, people are going to use the blockchain and they don't even know they're using it. Like maybe that doesn't even really matter if like they want to use it bad enough and there's like incentive enough to use it. And I don't know. I see that with some type of gaming, sports betting, gambling, like these kind of things right. that are just like so. Um, yeah. I don't. It, yeah. The counter argument to all this is like for the for it to move past Bitcoin, like who are the, like it's not retail that's going to. Like it needs to be big people that are going to put in a bunch of money to move the market cap up that much. So it's only like a few L1s that probably have enough length that they would like, it would need big players to basically all be in like unison. Like this L1 is going to win and we're going to allocate $500 billion worth of market cap to it. Right. Like it's kind of, it comes back to the liquidity thing too. Like, like Doge can skyrocket and then it crashes back down because it just can't sustain like that level of volume and like people dump. Well, but, so but like there's like like and, yeah, but to your point is it you're like, there's a like different one difference. Touch. Yeah, there's a difference between like flip and then like flip for ten years and see you later. Like because the liquidity, like you could look at the market caps and go, oh, you need one trillion dollars to double Bitcoin, but in reality, you need like an order of like a tiny piece of one trillion dollars because. You just need it at once. Like, there's not enough. One wick. You know what I mean? One wick on Kraken. <laughs> you just need Michael <laughs> Saylor to fucking buy, you know, a million Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. You do need the big players, though. You're right. I mean, and then it's like, ah, yeah. Honestly, I honestly feel like conversations are good, though. For that exact reason, like, I don't. I don't exactly. I, I flip flop all the time on um, on how much I like BTC, but I feel like people are like thoroughly underestimating the size of the potential buyers in the next few years for BTC. 
Like I feel like the gov- the government narrative has disappeared. Like that is in no has no way declined in relevance to me. Oh, the government that government's buying Bitcoin. <clears throat> I mean, it's like a it's a it's sort of a perfect like Federal Reserve FX holding. Like you know, if if the economy increasingly moves on the internet, like you're going to need a digital gold to deploy, you know, at, as you might to defend your local currency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I don't know. It also might fall out of favor for everyone else, right? Like you could see a, an only a certain type of huge character wanting a BTC and a digital gold. And I don't know, like retail, I'm mean, not the retail matters, but maybe funds, they don't want a non-productive asset, for example. Right. And so they skew towards the stuff that can be staked. I kind of agree with the way Jordy thinks about it, where like the end game is that like people hold BTC, like in a lot of worlds, essentially, as like their state, like it's like gold, right? So like, when things are going crazy, you hold BTC. And then when things are going up, you like invest in the alts and everyone cycles back into BTC. And that's why I don't know. I guess I'm kind of afraid for BTC to get flipped because then like, does you BTC have so much. <laughs> no, no, you're all... no, 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 no. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. He's a Solana <laughs> dev with a BTC magazine. <laughs> no, I'm a hybrid. I'm a hybrid. <laughs> um, you you see what I'm saying though? Like, if something flips BTC, like everything's too hot. It's like things are changing too fast, and like, I don't know. Maybe I'm not thinking about it the right way, but usually what you see, I feel like you see like BTC go up, alts go up, and then when things start to drop, people like like the system's just super leveraged essentially, right? Yeah. So the leverage has to unwind, and what happens if people can't unwind into Bitcoin? Like where do they unwind into? Like when the leverage gets killed, I feel like anything that flips. BTC needs to essentially become the new asset that everyone unwinds into in a bear market. And I guess... Well, what, I mean, why don't people unwind into stable coins? Like, that's what I do. Right? Maybe, I mean... Well, the, the, the theory is that if you're, if you're part of the hedge against inflation camp and governments are being reckless camp, you don't want to hold a burning pile of money. Yeah. And I know a lot of traders, they like... They, they do what you're saying, actually. Like, they trade back into... They just make more and more Bitcoin and Ethereum, and they just kind of never sell that shit. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you're right, actually. Right after I said that, I was like, no, that's... I I think some people are like me, but then some people, like, think in dollars like me. Like, I denominate in dollars. But some people are like... Like, Suzu denominates in Bitcoin, right? Um, yeah. I, I think mean, there's it's, the it's, two I, things we're seeing here. There's like, there's, like, the Lindy, like, Bitcoin is the king... The fact that it's a boomer coin is like good and that's bullish and we need it to like be king and like government money and like like sovereign wealth funds and big, you know, traditional institutions. Right. Like they want that like boomer coin and they want it to be like stable or whatever. And then there's like the hyper growth of like web, like some web three killer app that just like moons and shoots over everything. And yeah, I mean, I kind of stand by what I said. I think I mean, I would maybe say now that we've talked about it a little more, maybe like 20%, maybe I'm more like TJ. Like it's most likely Bitcoin is king, I think. But yeah, um, I think those are kind of the two things. It's almost like like, like uh, things staying the same, like things being static or like some crazy like revolutionary moment. That's kind of like what we're trying to... And, and both no. are probable. And both are like different, different like 
uh, parties that would be like make this happen. I guess I don't know. How about how about the hot take? How about the hot take that all of the L ones as the you know the effectively TCP/IPs like the basic protocols of this entire ecosystem become commoditized. There's a race to bottom. There's no value accrual there, and the value all accrues to some killer app at the top of the stack. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know, man. It's, it's funny. I was going to bring up the opposite. I was going to bring up like how like the past well, six I think months, like, actually, no app has really done well. Yeah. But that's, part. that's what, that's usually what happens though. Right. Historically, like the bottom of the stack, the bottom of the stack gets commoditized away. Right. It's a race to the bottom. Like ultimately with L1s that you see already, the reason soul is successful is because it's cheap. Right. And so what you'll see is you'll see like a proliferation of L1s. Like 50,000 TPS is- Oh, I get what you're saying. They just become cheaper and cheaper and then you don't even need the token really, but yeah. Exactly, like 50,000 TPS also isn't jack shit. Like that's like like pathetic compared to like centralized alternatives, right? So you're gonna see like a level of competition to drive the TPS super high and the cost super low, such that holding that much of the token isn't really relevant. But what you've seen at least in web two is like a lot of the value instead of accruing to the bottom of the stack, which is safer, a lot of the value accrues to like where the consumer actually touches any of it. Right. It's not like Charter, it's Google or something, right? Yes, or exactly. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's I think that's fair for ETH because ETH is basically going the opposite way. They're like, we're going to keep making ETH more and more expensive by making it deflationary. And you could argue that maybe the thing you're paying gas fees with should be getting slowly cheaper over time. Like a Keynesian like type of policy or not, whatever. Like basically what they do with the U S dollar, they try to make it cheaper over time to encourage spending. Right. Yep. So why wouldn't you do that with a blockchain? But instead ETH is competing with BTC and now they're making it more expensive because I guess the mental model is that'll make it more secure over time. And that's what people want to pay for. But I don't know. So to your point, like if if a blockchain is decentralized enough and can be it and still get cheaper and cheaper over time, you think people will just go there, right? So um I don't know. Yeah, it's I feel I mean, like that's I feel like it's yeah. a reasonable take. It's definitely bearish. It's definitely bearish, Eve. No doubt about that. I wonder if like in the, in that simulation of the world, right? Like ETH uh, kind of trying to be, been trying to be trying to f to formulate this for a while. Like in that version of the world where, like you know, ETH's uh, monetary policy, like deflation, and just the fact that it's untenable to use for normies. Like, I wonder if the narrative might shift from it's a like smart contract base layer to it's a you know it's more of a store of value, right? Like that's why people hold it. It's like it's like a more dynamic BTC. That's like effectively its role as a species. Like it's pivoted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, boys. Yeah, to be honest, sometimes I wonder why people use Ethereum. I mean, I use it sometimes myself, but I don't know. Like, it doesn't really make sense. I mean, the only reason because Ethereum is, is that's where shit is, right? That's where people right. It's are, like a network effect, I guess. When that changes, like I don't. But what's the thing I find hilarious though is like what happens. What happened to ETH is going to happen everywhere. Right, everyone's like, AVAX is so cheap. It's like, yeah, that's because there's no one yeah. on it. And when people on it, it's going to yeah. be expensive. <laughs>
<laughs> right. Same thing with Luna. Same thing with everywhere else, right? right? Like everyone's going through the same issues, like, which actually is sort of bullish, right? Because they've already gotten to the point where they've achieved the scale, and those who are working on things are actually actively working on scaling solutions to make the thing work, right? And then that also is kind of like that's why the multi-chain thing might just be the way it goes, and it continues to be this way where there's like people speculate on different chains for different reasons. I don't know. Yeah. Um, because I, sometimes I see like ETH maxis on Twitter, like who are like, I know they're like, they can't be that rich. Like these guys aren't billionaires, you know? And they're like, Oh, like anyone with serious money, like has it on ETH. Cause it's more secure. And I'm like, dude, like I know people with a lot more fucking money than you. And they have it like, they have it on fucking Luna and soul, you know, like they don't, they don't, they don't fucking care. So sometimes that, but it, to your point, it's like, why do I use ETH? It's sometimes it's like, oh, the, the coin is on Uniswap and it's just fuck, you know, and I don't have a Binance account. So I just go on ETH and I swallow the, I bite the bullet, you know, and I do the gas fee. And it's just because it's there and it's like, it's there because, you know, I don't know. Even, even when you're putting a decent amount of money to work, like it fucks with your PL, you know? Like when, I, when, I'm, when I'm like deep, <laughs> yeah, deep into research, when I'm deep into researching a protocol, like I've just finished a white paper or whatever. Um, and I get out of it. I'm like, this is definitely investable. And then I realize that like it's a ERC twenty. I'm like, Ugh. it sucks, like, bro. Am I really gonna pay on the way in and the way out? I feel like what, this is why what you're gonna see is, um, like you saw USDT do this. They burned a whole bunch of USDT on Tron, which is obsolete, right? And then they reissued elsewhere. They chain swapped. I think you're gonna start to see protocols doing that, right? Protocols realize that if you're if your ERC twenty is living, your token is living on Ethereum. Like that's a problem for your growth. That's a problem for your users. Like you need to find a way to not do that. Like you, you already saw Audius do it, right? Like they went ERC twenty, then they went Solana. Like you're gonna, I feel yeah. like you're gonna see that in mass. And once it starts happening, like the floodgates just open. Like people are gonna start chain swapping. And like realistically, ETH is the first place it happens. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And I mean, FTX, isn't FTX behind a lot of like the SPL wrapped shit on Solana? I don't know. You mean like they operate the the wrapping? The, the custodian? Well, I guess now, they, now that Wormhole is like live, I guess it's Wormhole too. But but before Wormhole, I think it was mainly FTX doing that, right? Like they would back like Sushi on Solana or something. Right. Um, right? Right. But yeah, now there's Wormhole. So they have decentralized way or whatever. Yeah, that dude. Was a good fucking, this was a good fucking shred. This is boy. such a good band, dude. Fuck, man. I don't know how much to be back. I guess it's all it's games all the way down. So we talked about games, but we definitely wandered. <laughs> we started with games, and then we just talked about the flipping and DAOs. Honestly, we could have talked about the the cloud meta game more. I feel like we could. Just oh, I wanted to, man. Twitter for long. <laughs> I've been I mean, really fed up with it lately. We could do that. We could do that <laughs> next week. Um, I wanted to yeah. tell you before we go that um, my parents have both used the word flippening in the last two weeks. <laughs> oh my god! Shaney always souls. says, "Shaney always says not going to make it." And uh, what else? Uh, bullish. She always says bullish now. Oh, dude, my my sister started to say bullish as well now. And she always says rug. She's like, God. she's like, fuck, that was such a rug, you know? It's like, I don't know. It's so funny. It's hard not to just like have your crypto vernacular just spread and through all, like all your friends and family. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my dad will say like, I'm bullish this now about random things. It, it makes me so happy. Like, sometimes, sometimes I hear my mom on the phone and like, like my, my folks have like done quite a bit of work trying to understand crypto just because Sam and I are both in it. And I think cause they're both interested and invested. 
But like my mom like mansplains other moms about crypto. It's just the best thing ever. <laughs> she mansplains. The moms. <laughs> <Bob-slain>. <laughs> um. Yeah, we should we should run these back. I'm glad we actually recorded it. We could put it up. I don't think any of us said anything that would get us canceled. So I think it's probably okay. Should I fix that real quick? <laughs> yeah, see? Except I said I was bearish cows. I was bearish cows. Bearish decentralization. Dude, I am so bullish crypto. Everything's going to the moon in 2022. We all are going to get Lambos. I <laughs> love everyone. Clout, and I'm a law-abiding citizen. And I'm a law-abiding citizen. Bro, like when when my followers went up to like about where they are now is because I was just bull posting and like like shit posting memes and just like like retardedly bullish, you know. Um, and then now I've stopped doing that and I like and I like don't even care anymore. Honestly, I'm like whatever, dude. But I see other people doing it. I'm like fuck these guys, you know. I'm like. But I, I was playing the game like two months ago. <laughs> yeah, but dude, now you're, now you're better than it. You're better than the game. Yeah. <laughs> now you're posting pictures of you and Shaney. Like, we're cooking. We're wholesome. <laughs> Wait, did I do that? No, I don't know. I've been liking the more the more wholesome meat space shake content. Yeah. yeah I mean, good to, to be see, honest. Good to see out, of, like, out of the trading chair. And like what, the shift I made too was like when I talk more about trading, it's in um, it's on YouTube or in in the Discord. So it's like, and I kind of like feeling like that because I started feeling like I'm like front running myself when I like post about trades because it's like if anyone listens to me, like how does that benefit me, you know? Or I'm fucking dumping on them and then I feel bad, so I just like don't even talk about NFT flipping or like like short term trades. I just don't even talk about it on Twitter because um, I don't know. The only thing it's well, good for is when you could be like, we can when I retweet myself and I'm like, see, dude, I was fucking right, you know. That's that's when it's good. Uh, like. I like when you tweet about when you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Like. I like that. That's a good bit. Well, because I had a couple, I had a couple guys act like I was like some beast trader, and I'm like, guys, like, <laughs> come on, dude, I'm I fucking suck, you know. I just had a couple. I saw good that. Plays. Someone was like, you need to give me more of your trades, and I was like, I was like, I'm a little worried for these guys. <laughs> Yeah, FYI, it's like copy trade. FYI, it's the 31st. So if you guys have any losses to harvest for NFTs, you should do that today. Or for anything for that matter, if you're intrigued. But, but like you, I, I talked to my friend about this. What, what, you buy the NFT from yourself? I mean, how do you do it? You just no, list you it at the floor to, and hopes. No, no, no. You, 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 can either, you can either try to sell it if you want to, or you can just write it off as a loss. Because send it to a brand address, yeah. You can just burn it. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Like I, I bought a soul stud at the top. I'm gonna just burn the shit out of that. Take it as a <laughs> as a loss against the uh, tax. I should probably do that too. Actually, <laughs> fuck. That's I already did it on like uh, I did it on a DJ ape, dude. I took like a seventy soul loss on a DJ ape yesterday. It's a pretty nice chunk of change. The soul stud right off. I'm I'm hyped on it. Yeah, mine would be mine would be like seventy soul too or something. <laughs> Holy shit, man. All right, boys. Have have a good night. Um, Happy New Year. It's good to see you both, y'all. I'm excited to see you both in person. Chris, I'm going to see you in two weeks. Shake, about a month. Let's fucking go. Fuck yeah. Yeah.